Alright, Eli, so uh, how did you first watch Blade Runner? I was 15, and I was watching a documentary about it. It was made by Oliver Harper. He makes these really, really good documentaries about like anything nostalgic, anything from the 1980s or 70s or 90s. He's probably the best video reviewer I've seen on YouTube in a long time. Really? Well, he, he's, he was a projectionist. He used to be a projectionist, according to what he's been saying. And he just talks about it in such detail. He draws some documentaries. He uses the footage, but he has his own narration. He talks about his reaction at the time. And so I'd heard about Blade Runner when I re looked up, you know, top science fiction movies ever. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, there was Moon, there was Tales of My Space Odyssey, and then I was like, Blade Runner, okay. And I, and I saw a couple screen caps from Blade Runner. I saw the, the co big Coca-Cola signs in the city, the neon Harrison Ford, of course. Of course, I love Harrison Ford. He's probably the best 80s action star, in my opinion. Um, just because he was so different from Stallone and, uh, and Schwarzenegger. He was a vulnerable action star. Yeah. So it was interesting. I was like, is this this is like an Indiana Jones Star Wars clash thing? It's like an adventure mystery in a futuristic city. So I didn't actually watch it till I was sixteen in full, um, and it was the final cut because I heard about the three, five, eight different cuts that they had floating around there. Um, but I loved it when I first watched it, but didn't understand it completely. So as I got older, I watched it a few more times, and I saw some video essays and I read some analyses of it. And it was really, really was very. It's such a profound movie. Um, but it's enough about me. How about you? For me, I always kind of heard about it when I was a kid. My uncles, my my cousins, they would like mention it, saying how we should watch it. It would always be. Um, we talk about Alien, and really like it would always come up. Blade Runner would always come up in the conversation. They would talk about Alien, especially Aliens. My family was a big fan of the Aliens franchise. But I never watched it until more recently, until Twenty Four Nine came out. I had heard many good things about it. I heard mixed reviews. People thought it was too long, or boring, too or dark, too boring. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of afraid to watch it because of that. Yeah. Just like this prejudgment of the movie. I was meant to get around to watching it. Um, it wasn't until twenty forty nine. Saw the trailer and I was like, oh yeah, I this heard is this thing. is good. Yeah. I want to watch the first one before I watch this one, but it you know didn't come to that. I watched forty nine twenty forty nine first. And I was like, this movie's pretty good. Uh, I was pretty mesmerized by the visuals. Mm -hmm. Just engrossed in that world. And like, I have to go back and watch the first one. I had no idea there was different versions. Didn't do any Yeah, there's, there could be at least eight different versions out there besides just the, the three, the, the original like, cut, the director's cut, which wasn't really a director's cut. They just called it that because yeah. it was like, a, it just didn't have the voiceover or narration. Studio meddling. Yeah, studio meddling. It was just like, but it made a, it was a, it developed quite a cult following in the 90s uh, from the book I was reading, Future Noir. Um, so the original Blade Runner, unformed at the box office, got mixed reviews, yeah. very very polarizing film at the time. It came out the same year as E.T., so E.T. blew it out of the box office. It, you know, I think Harrison Ford had already come out in Star Wars and in Indiana Jones. That's right. So That's I guess they're trying to catch that. Yeah, the Harrison Ford mania. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that was a big selling point of the film. It's Harrison Ford, this big science fiction adventure where he's also playing a man with a gun. Oh, um, yeah, and marketed as an action film, but mm -hmm. it's not really. Yeah, it's interesting. You watch, you watch the trailer, which is like, I think trailers used to be like five minutes long back in the day. It was, it was great. They didn't really have a standard for how long trailers were. Just, they didn't really put a lot of thought into them. But, um, yeah, it was very much an action movie. They showed all the action beats, but when you get to the real actual <laughs> movie... There aren't a whole lot of action beats. Not really. It's more just like cars flying by buildings with the music going all, you know, 
Wunyao, very like very deep thoughts about what it means to be human. Very a lot of philosophical stuff that most teenagers probably aren't really into. Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad I watched these movies later on. Maybe they appreciate it in a different light. If I'd watched it in like middle school, I would have thought it was boring. Yeah, I would have got bored. But which is maybe because I watched Apocalypse Now in middle school for the first that's time. That's a that's a war movie though. It's it's different because it has quite a bit of action. It has it's and it's it's in an area that exists in this world. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like it's a historical fiction because you know Willard was not a real person, but it takes that you know heart of darkness concept and puts it into. Uh, Vietnam War, which I think is brilliant. I guess you're right, because the, the war in Vietnam has like well, visuals. Like yeah, it's, napalm it's, strikes, mm-hmm. and villagers and stuff. Whereas this movie, it's uh, it's definitely a noir. It's because uh, like my girlfriend, I showed it to her last night actually. Oh, nice, nice. I was really preparing her. Like it's a philosophical movie. Talks about like with the future and a lot of anime takes a lot of inspiration yeah. from it. Well, it's a very moody film. Don't consider it an action film. It's giving her just a lot of warnings and just. Trying to prepare her. She actually brought a pretty good, interesting point to the movie, a new perspective. Someone who never watched it before. I'll get into that later, but. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like watching the beginning of the movie, the first time when I watched it, I was like, what, what the heck is that? Yeah, what the heck is a replicant? What's that? What's an eye in the You know, just the mm-hmm. person watching. Right, right. A blue eye, right? Those, those optical effects, though, like this is pre CGI. Yeah, yeah, These yeah, effects yeah. are amazing for 1982. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we may have had Star Wars before, but that was in space. You could get away with that. You could have the motion control. You could have all those models. But with these, with the Blade Runner, you have to have the light coming from the cars. You have to have the lens flares that they, they had to uh-huh. animate frame by frame by frame to make it look realistic. You had to have um, the background plates and the painting match up with the, uh, the foreground that was shot in location. And then you have the opening scene. They called it the, the Hades. Um, yeah, they just called it Hades. It was like the, the hellish... Um, it's like oil, industrial like, landscape. It's like reactors and like refineries yeah. just blowing up fire and mm-hmm. smoke. It's like that's really interesting because uh, people think of that eye as like all seeing eye. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a shot of like that of the refineries blowing up fire and stuff. And then like it looks like it turns around and it shows like the big pyramid. Well, that's yeah. I think that's really drawing a, a god parallel because that yeah, eye yeah. could either be it could be Terrell's. We don't know that. We it could be. Uh, you know, the god of that universe, you know, he's looking down at what his creation has have done to his earth. You know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot that we can we can delve from that. Um, yeah, so those optical effects, like models, miniatures, matte paintings, yeah. um, you know, lights, the lights and everything, fiber optic cables they put into buildings and everything, it's just, it all matches up so well. Well, they, 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 that comes from, like, Star Wars, the big, uh, the big spaceships, they have, a. Uh, the cables. Yeah, Star Destroyers, because like... Uh, make it look like it's huge, because mm-hmm. the lights are tiny. You know, the more lights and more windows you have, the larger the scale. Like, the bigger the background is and the smaller the thing in the foreground is, you have a greater scale. Um, yeah. But also, none of the effects really look fake. Like, you can tell that no. they're paintings. Yeah, yeah, But there's no, like, fuzzy-looking blue screen. You, you, there's no line that you can see, like, the blue line or anything like that. Um... And it, and it may have been that they fixed it in the final cut, but even the original cut that I've seen, like nothing looks overly redone, like the Star Wars Special Edition. It's really, it's it's authentic, authentically 80s, which I love. I can tell where they use models when they're like zooming in through buildings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. But 
how would they how else would they do it you know like, exactly CG, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good the way they use lighting very moody dark yeah all fiber optic cables and everything it's just it's brilliant um, I like how they com- they composited models against the background they had to have the smoke on the in the miniatures as well oh, so it's yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I didn't want to spoil anything for my girlfriend I didn't say any plot points ahead of time I just wanted to see what she would think. What is this? This is the Terrell Pyramid. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so there it is. Wow. So they, they originally wanted Douglas Trumbull to be the supervisor, who did um, 2001 Space Odyssey. I think he was too busy at the time. <laughs> what was he doing? Uh, he was trying to be, his, be a director. He didn't want to be known as just a special effects supervisor. They got some people from his team. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, he was, sorry, he was the special effects supervisor for the movie, so that makes a lot of sense, Douglas Trumbull. Must have mixed that up with another movie. So we get 2001 Space Odyssey effects in this Blade Runner film. You know what's funny is that Odyssey came out in 68. Yeah. That's a long time. That's a big gap. Isn't that interesting? Like, no other. Well, we got Star Wars and Aliens. Yeah, ILM and everything. You have. Yeah. There there was a big gap between Space Odyssey and uh, Star Wars and Alien. It's just, they're, they're, I can't think of any other science fiction movie mm-hmm. in between. And there were a couple, of course, but they were they never hit such a high mark as Star Wars or 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, and at the time, Blade Runner was considered a failure. Let, let's remember oh, that. Yeah. So it's, it's oh, only yeah. recently become a classic That's in true. like the past 10, 15 years, just through a cult following repeat viewing. So That kind of happened with the Spaghetti Westerns, like Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in the West, Fistful of Dollars. Those were considered, eh. But nowadays, people are like, oh, those are works of art. So yeah, I, I do understand that, like, people, it's more of a recent thing. A lot of photographers trying to emulate uh, that type of photography, the cinematography in both movies. Roger well, Deakins' is, uh, cinematography mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, I think his cinem- the cinematography of Skyfall, which came out, like, five years before 2049 that he did, yeah. that's a, there's a lot, there's one scene in, scene in Hong Kong. It's yeah, like yeah, between, yeah. Yeah, but it's like the... The jellyfish and the neon sign. Are they trying to like snipe somebody? Yeah, yeah. So it has those sh- those deep shadows, those yeah. those neon lights, heavy blues. Very, very much Roger Deakins. Very artsy scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also did the Shawshank Redemption. Um, he did Kundun. Yeah. That's an old film. Oh, brother, where art thou? He's done a lot of work. A lot of good prisoners. With the mm-hmm. same director. Prisoners. Yeah. Arri- did he do Arrival? I'm not sure if he did Arrival because that was also maybe Denny Villeneuve. Um, yeah, so just visually it's fantastic, but let's go on to the character. Um, so what's, how do you think this film does its character, and do you think 2049 does its main character better? Well, on the service level, they try to play off uh, Rick Deckard as like this, like retired cop. Mm-hmm. Like he's just done. Like, like a 40s he's, noir, he's, noir protagonist. Yeah, yeah, for sure, like... If, it doesn't seem like he's been retired for a while either. Maybe it's been like a couple weeks even. Because mm-hmm. he just still refers to people in the office. Like, oh, yeah, he's like probably recently, recently retired. And he, he talks about the days when he just did re- he retired replicants. Just, you know, like a, like a normal thing for him. How he's, he was done with it. Yeah, he's like mm-hmm. jaded a little bit. He's just... He's also Harrison Fording. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that, in the best of ways, because we love Harrison Ford here. Everyone loves Harrison Ford. But he has a way of talking where he just seems so disinterested in everything. Yeah. And there's a couple scenes where I feel like that's that's him. 
because uh, if, you, if you read something about the behind the scenes, he clashes really Scott, Sean Young. He, you know, he did not really look at Blade Runner as the, the best experiences of his life. Um, but, you know, he, he ended up making events with Ridley and, and everybody, but uh, it, it was a hard shoot for him. Because mm-hmm. Ridley Scott has a reputation for being very thorough and taking a lot of time with shots and composition, which is great, but it creates a lot of friction on set. <laughs> Yeah, because like, I would imagine that actors have to build the, the emotion to do that. And do it, it over and over and over uh-huh. again per take. And this is also Ridley's first film shot in America. Really? His, his other movies were shot in England. Okay. So he had a, yeah, he right had a British crew. So Alien was shot on sound stages in England with American actors, yeah. um, as was The Duelists. And I think this was the next movie after Alien that he made. Because um, I think his brother had died and he wanted to make a more personal project, so he went to Blade Runner. And so that, he said that it really, his brother's loss really comes out in the final movie when Roy dies. Yeah. Just all the things you can learn from this book. But, um... I'd love to read that book. It's, it's all yours to borrow. Um, <laughs> I got a waiting you, list for books and movies. No. Uh, I really got to tackle, tackle those things, but, um... Um, you do see that Harrison Ford, like, reluctant, reluctancy when he goes into the office. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like the boss. But that is very much Harrison Ford, and I, I like that. Like he says, like, the line, like, well, no choice, huh? Like, I mm-hmm. have to do this. You're the best, Rick. Yeah. The beginning of the movie is really interesting. And I, I subconsciously noticed it before, but last night, I really did notice it, was, um, the guy's asking Leon questions. Mm-hmm. Leon is just like... He's just probing him really, really hard. Yeah, like, why am I here? Why mm-hmm. won't I help yeah. him? And the guy, he's getting flustered. Just kind of an opposite. Now, tell me about your mother. What was she like? I'll tell you about my mother. And she shoots him. Mm-hmm. It's like good and bad in the ugly. Just through the table. But yeah, I like that too. I like how the violence in this movie, I'm glad it's R because without the R, I mean, back then we have very different uh, classifications for ratings. Yeah. I think it's probably just R because there, there's that one uh, nude scene, well, partially nude scene in the, the snake club and everything. But um, besides that, I like how the violence is very raw. You know, the gun, it doesn't shoot like lasers. It, it hits him and he just crashes through the wall. It's very, like, over the top. You can see the blood. You can. It's very, yeah. it's gritty. I like how they don't really show off the guns. Like, yeah. in Star Wars, it's like, oh, these are <laughs> so It's like whipping out the guns. Like, they're going to shoot them any time. It's like these, they're bullets, but there's something else. They're, they're very, it's very, like, a raw, very, uh... Yeah, it's very, uh, it seems primitive, but it's not. Mm-hmm, that's right. Like, there's one shot towards the end of the movie where he shoots towards Roy and it explodes. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like an incendiary-type explosive yeah. ammunition. Um, it is a futuristic-looking gun because there's a shot where it shows the gun. There's, like, little lights on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's like a very raw type. It's, like, a powerful. It's taking out replicants. Mm-hmm. It's not just a little, little laser blast or whatever that you know, yeah. you're hurt, but it's... Yeah, it's... And you see the smoke. You see that. You see the... You know, when Batty breaks Deckard's fingers, you, you can kind of feel his pain, Yeah. right? And then when Batty, like, shoves the nail through his hand, you can... It, oh. It's raw. Even though, <laughs> oh. I mean, the, the hand is rubber, you know that, but still, like, it's... You can you just feel yourself coming out of the skin. It, it's a cringe, especially because you can hear the, the nail being oh, pulled out of wood. It's like a squeaky, like... Yeah, <laughs> it's all rusty, and he just jams it into his hand to get a little more life. Or, like, the scene where, like, after he just killed Zoro, and he's kind of, like, you know freaking out a little bit yeah yeah Leon is like grabbing him he's like slapping it's like him. nothing is worse than having itch you can never scratch and he's like I agree he's like all bloody and... oh yeah and then it you know his head blows up because Rachel well it blows out I guess because Rachel shoots him in the back of the head 
Yeah. Um, yeah, but very, very raw violence, very realistic. You know, you, Deckard's very weather-weary. You know, he's, he's had a lot of, probably a lot of retirements that he's had to go through. Um, but, uh, you know, as a character, I, I think he is us. You know, if we lived in that disillusioned world of 2019 Los Angeles, uh-huh. everything just seems so hopeless, and the, the only thing there is, like, the big blimp that says, move to oh. the off-world colonies. Yeah, that shows up a bunch in the movie. I was thinking about the grittiness of this film. It's, everything's dirty. Everything's wet. Mm-hmm. Everything's pretty grimy. It's like a grimy look in the future. It's like yeah. a planet, you know, greenhouse effect. Just like That's everything That's nothing what's happening on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, During the future's the... not clean. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's not a clean place, man. so dirty that they only have synthetic animals now. Yeah. Even the rich people can only afford synthetic animals. Yeah, he even asked Rachel when he shows up at Tyrell. He's like, I like her. Like, Oh, nice owl. You like mm-hmm. owl? Artificial. Or you even ask the same question when you see Zora. Is that snake real? She's like, can't afford a snake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think I could work in a place like this if I had a real snake? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so the original not little novella written by Philip K. Dick, part of the... Decker's a different character, sort of. He has a wife. Um, the actual goal of that story, he wants to kill replicants so he can get enough money to buy a real sheep because they're last sheep died and so like for that it's like it's a symbol of status yeah so in this world we're like and they, they kind of play with that because in this world like even the rich can't have you know a real owl which is really interesting well just how rare it, or stuff is now what I, what I got from this last viewing was um, there's different levels of rich right mm-hmm. you have like very bottom of the people are beggars and then like got like replicants mm-hmm. and they got like the Blade Runner units and then like above them would be like regular police guys yeah I mean you cop or little people that's what Bryant tells him uh huh yeah and then like above that would be like Bryant like those kind of people mm-hmm. and then like that one dude the guy who runs that bar oh uh, Taffy Lewis yeah Bizarro yeah. Bizarro <laughs> never seen that and see I, I like I like the bar scene too I love the costume design um the costume designer is actually he's, des- he's designed the, the costumes for the new Star Wars trilogy Okay. The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and then the, the ninth one. Um, he's worked with J.J. Abrams a lot. So he's a Michael Kaplan. He's a good costume designer. So we get to see like, what the rich are like. Even though the rich know that they live in a very broken world, they still try to drink it away and enjoy it. Yeah. I like the graffiti scrawled everywhere, like on the, the video phone and everything. Um, I like how nothing looks super, super clean. It's, no. it's just lived in. There's fingerprints all over everything, even the glass tubes that people are dancing in, like all that stuff. The only place I can think of is like clean would be Tyrell's place, mm-hmm. like his offices and like his personal room. Yeah, and it's it's so like it's lit with such a very heavy yellow light. It just conveys yeah. golden opulence. So yeah. it just feels uncomfortable to be in, even though it's clean and <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just it gives me that feeling. The vibe. You still feel kind of wet when you go in that room. Yeah, he's 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 like a greasy guy. He's got very greasy hair. It's just like <laughs> nowhere is guy. nowhere is comfortable in this movie. And nowhere is supposed to be comfortable. Even Decker's apartment, like that's just it's a like really full of clutter. Yeah, it's cluttered. It's it's just it's blocky. It's very closed in. Which is interesting. It's like he's drinking from a glass that's like blocky as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's it looks square, like it's heavy glass. and like like kind of pointy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Decker the alcoholic. He he drinks a lot. If you saw the honest trailer, like <laughs> it puts a compilation of all the times he's like, "I'll get you a drink" or "I need a drink." Um, he drinks at the bar. He drinks at home. At the guy's office, uh, Brian's office. Just to drink the pain away, and that's maybe that's just the way you, only way you can live here. But uh, 
yeah, it's, I, I just love the look of everything. Um, I love how they scroll Chinese characters all over everything. Uh, I think the thing that was missing from 2049 was the Chinatown area. And that's fine because I they shot it in Budapest 2049, so they couldn't really get a lot of Asian extras over there. But um, I like how, I guess this, this movie focuses in the Chinatown area. The other one is like maybe the Hungarian sector of LA. Yeah, it's very gloomy. Yeah. Um, gloomy I, as in like, it's, it's like, like overcast. Yeah, t- 2049 or... Yeah, 2049. Well, because this is after the blackout, so they, yeah. I guess they have to use less light. I love the shot in 2049. I, I like how the lower levels are lit, and then you have the light kind of just... You can see it, but it's darker up top. Just yeah. to save energy. Um, and it's so bad, you know, that the Wallace, they say he, like, solved the hunger crisis with his, like, like protein cubes or whatever. <laughs> just, like, like, just, just like, just like, yeah, sludge and everything. yeah. But going back to the levels of richness, like the top of the food chain, as we can see, is Tyrell. Mm-hmm. But he's still on Earth too. It's true. The off-world, off-world colonies—that's the place to be. And he doesn't. He's not there. He's on Earth. Well, I think. Well, he's he's manufacturing replicants uh-huh. uh, for slave labor to build the colonies and provide you know pleasure to soldiers and everything like that. Uh-huh. Um, and even Wallace Wallace says that like we've colonized nine worlds, but we don't know how many it is at this point in twenty nineteen. Um, but still, you know, I wonder why Decker doesn't like, try to go to the off-world colonies. Maybe it's his Blade Runner record, maybe it's... Just the status in society, doesn't yeah, have enough true. money. It's true. I, don't, I, don't, I doubt all the really, all the people in, um, the Chinatown area could go, even the, the noodle salesman, I don't think anyone could go. Um, even, um, J.F. Sebastian, he, he can't go, even, um, uh, what's her name? Pris asked him, like, oh, how come you're mm-hmm. still here? Methusal Which is kind of like a double though. meaning. How come you're still alive on Earth? Right, right. Like, how come you're still here? And he's like, oh, I didn't pass the medical because I'm old. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. Methuselah syndrome. Well, I think I, I was talking to somebody about that. And, um, well, just, you know, how if we were going to, you know, have an exodus from Earth, who do we want to bring with us? We want to bring the smartest people, like the, the poets, <laughs> the painters, the, the doctors. But I'm sure JF would, if he, you know, didn't have the syndrome, he'd be allowed to go. But yeah. I guess... That I, they, they care more about perfection. They don't want anyone with a disease to go because they, I guess they're thinking this is like humanity's last chance. So they don't want to like corrupt the colonies with any yeah. diseases. That that might be like a very, very extreme way of thinking. But then like, if they want to physically fit people, then what's the use of the replicants? The replicants seem like doing all the heavy work. Well, I mean, physical, Leon is like yeah. he left four hundred atomic loads at mm-hmm. once all day and night. Yeah. Well, Roy and then Roy was made to be a soldier. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's mostly just the very rich people, and maybe JF could have gone on as like a engineer or or a late I don't know something like that, or even a replicant designer if they were going to set up their own replicant stuff on Mars or whatever. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, what happens is um. My girlfriend was telling me that like she noticed the outfits of the people. She's like, "Wow, it's very uh, it's very uh, nice. It's not nice, but like it was a different word she used. It was very um, ornate." She's like, "It's very ornate. interesting." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the costumes are very ornate. Like especially Rachel, she has these very like these. She disappears in these giant like fur coats. Yeah, and it's like how do you move in that thing? Yeah, especially yeah. in the crowded areas of the of the city. Well, she's probably never been to the crowded areas of the city. Let's be That's honest. True, yeah. She's uh, well, you know, she was born in a test tube. Let's be honest here, but. She has the memories of Terrell's niece. Um, and I also like, well, they don't really like use the whole Soviet threat anymore. Um, 
but in 2049, they, they talk about the Soviet Union. They, at least they show like a ballerina hologram thing. Yeah. So in this world, the Soviet Union is still a thing in 2019. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very fast reference in 2049. Mm-hmm. Soviet Union is still gone. Didn't collapse. And uh, there was one scene with uh, Roy and uh, Tyrell. They're both dressed opposite. Mm-hmm. Tyrell got blocked here in the one of the oh, yeah. Well, going back to that, he's like in bed, like talking business. Mm-hmm. And then JF like calls him up. And playing like, chess. Playing chess. And it's funny because like the guys are geniuses. They know exactly what's on the board. Mm-hmm. That's why it's like nonsense. And he gets up and like, it's like, your mind, Sebastian. <laughs> but like in the room, it's like candles. Yeah. Everything's white. Candles. The whole thing is white. It's like entering the presence of a very, very dark, you know, just a very malignant god, you know, like a very. Like a corrupted god. Yeah, a creator you should be afraid of, but like really be afraid of, not just like you know fear or respect. Um, and see, even Jeff, he's nervous, of course, you know, because he's got Roy with him. But you know, Roy, he's trying so hard to get some more life because he's such a brilliant mind. He's such a good character. He has more life than the Deckard. You know, he's. I guess, I think he's what Deckard wished he was at, at the end of the movie. I'm, I'm sure Deckard wished he was like Roy, and had that passion for life because Deckard's lost that passion for life. Yeah, he's a human. Doesn't care for his life. A replicant cares for life, but doesn't have one. But like in that setting, with the candles, Roy is in black. And mm-hmm. he has the blonde hair. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy meeting creator. Well, and then to know that you can't, there's no hope for you at all. Nothing. Kind of drives drives you mad. Um. What else? And then I like you know he goes down the elevator. There's just. The lights are flashing on and off and off. It's just, you see it's like how conflicted inside, it is. Inside of him, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a scene, a very short, very fast take where yeah, they're going to the eye shop. Oh, yeah. Like his hand's like, you know. It's like, I had not enough time. No, it's, it's not even, it's like earlier in the movie. I, it's fast. Like, it's like, oh, like it's starting. Mm-hmm. And that's when they see Chew. Yeah, yeah. Those are my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Eyes play a big role in this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it's anyone who says, like, it's always funny watching it with somebody, and they're like, oh, the eyes really mean something. I'm like, oh, do they now? It's because it's pretty obvious, let's be honest here, but not, not to everybody, of course. But, you know, the, the eyeball really just, it, it adds a lot, especially the, um, the way they light the eyes of the replicants. Like, the inner part, it glows. Yeah. So that's how you're supposed to see it. And there's a, a shot where you can see that in Deckard's eyes. Yeah, it's fast. And, and it's like, so, ooh. <laughs> ooh, maybe, maybe, but we'll never know. Unfortunately, I, I honestly, I, I don't know if he is or is not a replicant. I, I can't really say for sure. I even, would like to think he's not. Yeah. I would like to think. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that says he is. Mm-hmm. Especially in 2049, when Wallace yeah. is like, I, I want replicants to be able to breed. And, you know, how else is that possible if two replicants? But I'm sure a human and a replicant could. But anyway, that's 2049. We'll focus on we'll that too right now. Yeah. Time, but, um, mm-hmm. I would like to think he's human. I would like to think. Because if, if, he's a, if he's a replicant, then why is he so like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, he might not know. We, we don't know. And it would have to be a huge conspiracy between, like, Gaff and Bryant, the yeah. entire police force, everybody. Yeah, it would have to be. Um. 
the, the unicorn scene throws everybody off. Yeah. It really does. Because, like, you know, Gaff would have had to have known about the dream that he had about the unicorn. Yeah. In the original cut, though, without the unicorn dream sequence, most people assumed that, you know, he was human and Gaff just made that as a reminder, like the unicorn didn't have a meaning. Um, but then with the final cut and the director's cut, we get, like, whoa. Just the curveball, man. This? Yeah. Um, so there's Ridley changing the meaning of one of his movies, which, of course, is fine. You know, he's the artist, he's the auteur. Uh -huh. But, you know, it, it will be a debate for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the... God, it's very quiet. What was it in 2049? Like, uh, we were loners, we worked together? We like, yeah, it was like we, wa we like to work alone. He makes um, a sheep at origami. Yeah, he makes a sheep. But, like, the first one he makes is a chicken. Yeah. Symbolizes that he's afraid. Yeah. Of his job. One last job. <laughs> he's already retired. He's made it through all these years. One another. Right? Yeah, it's true. And another line at the end is um, Gaff saying, "Congratulations, you've done a man's job." So, if he's not a replicant, um, that could infer that you know he's, you know, risen above him. He's finally been brave enough. If he is a replicant, that's like a whole other meaning. Like you've done a man's he, job. Uh, Qualified to be human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, in Brian's office makes a little origami chicken, because he's chicken. Mm -hmm. The second one is, a, and you know, every time I saw that scene, the second time they're yeah. in like the good guy's apartment, I always thought it was a mantis. Really? To look closely last night, and I'm like, oh, that's a that's a guy. It's an aroused man. Yeah. <laughs> wow, because like the next thing is that he goes to that, goes to that bar, goes to the oh, club. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, wow. Because he's looking at the bathtub and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, so, and like he uses the photo to zoom in. Yeah, the, the zoom and enhance thing. He does that <laughs> for like a whole minute. Um, yeah, I like, I mean, back to the technology. I like how everything's like, it's both analog. Because this is, you know, this is the time before we had holograms everywhere in movies. Uh -huh. I just, I hate how every sci-fi movie now has these like three-dimensional holograms. Yeah, they always have, have to show that. From Avatar. Like, even, I think Iron Man was the first one that had a 3D hologram, which is fine. That was like, cool. How do they, like, I, I was wondering, like, how do you touch them? Like, how do you control them with your hand? But anyway, that's a whole other question. <laughs> I like how everything's analog. There's so many switches and buttons and everything. It's, it's so, it's aged. It's like you're inside this old, you know, sedan where there's just a bunch of buttons and knobs. You don't know what, what, um. They all have a purpose, but we don't know exactly yeah, that's true. what. I mean, same thing with our cars now, right? There's a bunch of little mm -hmm. gadgets and stuff. Oh, a TV remote. We have a bunch of buttons that we don't know what they do. Exactly. And uh, no, Christopher Nolan kind of took that uh, for Interstellar because he wanted, you know, he didn't want to have these really futuristic-looking spaceships in Interstellar. He wanted a lot of analog stuff. So production designer really took a lot of um, stuff from Blade Runner and also Alien to make everything look, you know, worn down and used, but also make have a lot of switches and stuff. You want that, like... Audible. Yeah, exactly. And then it sounded like tapes whirring and stuff, like everything's electronic. Um, and I like how they, they electronically, you know, modulate the voices over the radio. It's, you know, it's just, it's a good touch. It, it gives the film a better, it's more grounded that way. Yeah, things look more, like, used. Yeah. Like the cars, the flying police cars. Mm -hmm. They look pretty beat up inside. Maybe you have, like, Wrappers and receipts. Yeah, they got trash everywhere. <laughs> and then even on the streets, you see just trash floating everywhere. You yeah, see yeah. magazine stands. You, people have these like light lightsaber umbrella sticks, which oh, yeah. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, that would have some real world, you know, uh, usage, I would think. Yeah, in a, in a pretty dark environment. It's like, yeah, that, that's a cool thing, the, the glowing umbrella sticks. Um, 
oh, I, I like, you know, there's a bunch of people on bikes, so it, even though we have a world with flying cars, we also have people just riding bikes. So yeah, there's that, I was watching this video, how they explain it like that, how that, it's just more of that world, more of that Blade Runner world, yeah. they just like walk off, Roy and uh, Leon just walk off and it just pans left. For a shot that really has no meaning. Yeah, just the bikes, yeah. there's people mm -hmm. with like these, uh, these hats, right? Yeah, to keep it from the rain. And actually, I see a lot of that in China when I was there. People have, they have these bikes, and sometimes they have this giant canopy they just, like, put on top of their bike. And when wow. in Beijing, yeah. And in Beijing, I mean, just say, like, a lot of it reminds me of Blade Runner. It's very smoky, you don't see the blue sky, neon everywhere, people just running. Like, there's such a hustle. There's such a yeah. hustle in the, in the LA 2019. It's, it's such a, it's so chaotic. Everyone's trying to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, have, we have the automated voices saying, like, don't walk or cross now. No one's paying attention. <clears throat> just free-for-all. Mm -hmm. I, I felt that in the Philippines, too, in the more busier parts of the city. Yeah. Just no one really cares. They just well, sure. go whenever you can. Sure, yeah. I mean, like, it, it's, it's like a it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there with, with LA 2019. Um, I liked how we have a mixture of languages. We have, you know, the, the city speak. We have, you just hear so many languages. We have the Egyptian guy selling snakes. We have the Cambodian yeah. lady he goes to. People, like, these... Ostrich clump, you know, ostrich replicants going around. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting, you know, when you think about like Dolly sheep being cloned, if we can clone animals, pretty mm -hmm. soon we can clone humans. Mm -hmm. It makes them subservient to us and teach them why they are yet less, and that way we have you know, a disposable labor force. I was thinking with this movie is that, well, now we got AIs in our phones, we got AIs yeah. running around. It's crazy. And like, I don't know why we have to do it, but eventually someone's gonna make an AI and put into a body, artificial body. It's just gonna happen. It's not necessary, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. you can make other things that are more useful, more utilitarian. Sure. But it's gonna be like ex machina one day. It's gonna be <laughs> unveiled. I already know it. That's right. I don't know why that has to happen, but it will. Oh, it will. Like people are gonna find a way to replace like parts of themselves with electronics, <laughs> and soon the line between like real and machine is gonna blur. You know, we have a guy, there's a guy, he's trying to replace, like, most of his body with, with mechanical parts, even parts of his brain, so there's a danger that the mechanical parts could then gain dominance over the brain and the electrical signals. Yeah. It's pretty insane. But I was thinking more like, once that happens, once we get, like, an ex-modigano situation in our hands, or even, like, Blade Runner, mm -hmm. the question is going to arise, like, should we give them rights? That's right. Are they are they human? Do they have a soul? Something that we, yeah, exactly. Does being cloned give you a soul? Because there's all talk about an artificial womb, and it looks like they made they went for a sheep, and it looks strangely similar to the one in twenty forty nine where it's like this bag, and they just drop this woman out of it. Yeah, on you know this on, covered in amniotic fluid onto this mat. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. It's it's just creepy to me at least. You know, like artificial birth. You know, manufactured man. Yeah, you, you, you know that that human beings are now just like like any other animal, essentially. You can just like manufacture them. Um, and it's you know it's it's a very it's a strange thing. And, and uh, actually, the movie Island really does have a. I do remember that movie too. It's Michael Bay, probably his most coherent <laughs> movie to date. Ian McGregor. It's it's actually a fairly good movie. I mean, the last like half is just a bunch of Michael Bay action. The first half is actually really good. Mm -hmm. There's this whole birth scene where there's this clone and he's just. They have this whole like um, umbilical cord tube thing with all these wires. They yank it out, and there's blood that goes everywhere. And it's this huge sack of KY jelly. And it, it's it's really like it's really it's a really well done scene that they how they show how the, these people are born. 
and they bring him out, he's like sucking his thumb because he's just, you know, he's like has the mind of a baby. He's like the body of a full grown man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, it's definitely a lot of the Blade Runner uh, ideas going to the island. I had a somewhat similar conversation with my girlfriend. Like, if you, if you cloned yourself, would, it, would that person, do you call it you, me, we? Number two. Number two. Like, we were, I was asking, or she was asking, um, would that person have the same personality? That's right. And I was thinking, uh, potentially, yeah. But they won't grow up in the same time as you did. They won't have the same friends. Yeah, some things are wired, but we are also products of our own environment. So there, there is going to be some of that personality there and also quite a bit that is not there. Yeah, and then like, I was like, what if I'm 50 years old? Yeah. <laughs> and I clone myself, like, I'll have a whole different personality when I'm 50 than I was too. Well, the clone's going to grow up at a normal rate. Yeah. And so most likely it would die. Um... Because Dolly, Dolly, she she died pretty soon. Isn't that interesting? I'm not sure how, why she died, but yeah, it's it's very. You see that a lot of that with replicants, only four year lifespan, but it's made kind of like with a it's like an expiration date for for a can of soup, basically. Pretty much. You know, it's just like so when it's no longer useful, just buy another one. Um, and so you know, I always think about like with with Pris and Zora and Leon and, and Roy, you know, they want to live. They don't want to just have an expiration date, right? Um, so really, Decker can be the villain of the story. He's just a pawn of the, the big man. Um, and he's a pawn of Tyrell as well. Because Tyrell, like, he obviously doesn't care about his products, you know, running loose and killing people. It's, yeah, because uh, he says, like, I've done questionable things. Uh-huh. He's like, more but human than human. But you've done great things. Yeah, yeah. Rebel in your time. That's when he kills him. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Pretty big God complex there. there was someone asked, I saw this question, was it, you know, on Instagram or Reddit, it was like, do you think Roy Batty is a hero? And most people said, or whoever took the survey was uh, said yes. Hmm. Interesting. Roy is more human than human. He's. I was thinking like, Roy has a little family he has to take care of. Yeah. Consists of like Zora, Pris, Leon, the ones we know, right? The the two that got fried. Yeah, they just yeah they were dumb. Trying yeah. to assault the, the pyramid. Mm-hmm. They had to be more strategic. He's trying to protect them and like. They're like, like sad. Keep them alive, yeah. But they're visibly sad when like one of them falls. Um, and we never see all of them together at, this, at once, but we can, you know, we can kind of tell there there was a connection between all four of them. And in the Blackout twenty twenty two little anime short, we we see a lot of that too. Yeah. I think one of the guys he says, "No heaven or hell for us. This world's all we've got." Um, especially Zora, I think. Poor Zora, because no, Pris, sorry. Well, prisons are both, you know, they're both, you know, meant for pleasure of other men. You know, they're, they're not, they're just made as basically sex objects. Literally. They're basically like sex toys when you think about it. That, that's all they are. And that, but they're, they have thoughts and feelings. So it's, it's really cruel to their creators to give them thoughts and feelings when, you know, it's, it's just like, what a cruel thing for Tyrell to do. Yeah. Um, and then like you kind of see that just a little bit from Pris. She uses it on JF. Right? She mm-hmm. like able to sneak in his house not sneak in but is able to get in yeah right playing the oh I'm lost and hungry and he's like oh come on in yeah I got a bunch of toys and mm. I'm like <laughs> she gets all like best pickup line right well, well she and she she dresses like a doll and um yeah uh, she like spray paints and hair it's all dry you look better and she's like better yeah and and that's you know like her skin's white like a china porcelain doll 
and they use that doll motif in Blackout as well, because the one she's also a pleasure model, so she's mm -hmm. basically meant to be a prostitute for the rest of her life, um, and you know she wants to have a life beyond that. She wants to live. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I feel the bad, the worst for the both of them, and Leon too, though, because he has a really low IQ, but he a good heart, even though he does kill a couple of people and. He blasts away that one Blade Runner yeah. in the beginning. There's actually a scene shot with that other Blade Runner Holden um, where he was connected to this, like, this whole iron lung chamber thing, but it was filmed, but we'll never get to see it. It's like been lost. I think the film disintegrated or whatever. Oh. There's yeah, concept because, like, of it, though. Doesn't Brian say, like, oh, yeah, he's, he's okay as long as he's breathing? Or yeah, as something? long as you don't unplug him, something like that. There's going to be a scene where Deckard goes to Holden to talk to him, but he could barely talk. It, it's, it's like an iron lung type thing for the future um, it was designed by Sid Mead who designed most of the Blade Runner world uh -huh. and he also designed a lot of stuff for aliens like the Sulaco ship um, yeah but I, I would say Roy Batty is the hero of the story and Deckard doesn't realize it till the very end yeah because he's just doing his job because Deckard's not very likable let, let's be honest here <laughs> he's, he's, he's kind of grumpy yeah he's gruff he's, he's basically old Harrison Ford when you think about it He's a very cynical Indiana Jones. <laughs> that's right, that's right. He's retired from archaeology. Uh -huh. It's just a blow. It's just done. And see, this is a strange like career choice for Harrison Ford to do. You know, he, he does Star Wars. He makes a lot of money. gets really famous. Because he was originally a carpenter. He didn't yeah. think he'd go into acting. And he got to be in American Graffiti. A couple more movies. He, was, he had a cameo in Apocalypse Now. But that was shot in 76. <laughs> but it didn't come out until 79 when he was super famous. So... It's weird seeing him like in a really, really tiny role in uh -huh. Apocalypse Now after Star Wars. Um, and then Empire, we stole the heart of every young girl um, as Han Solo again. And then Indiana Jones, where, you know, he cemented his spot. Harrison Ford um, is an interesting career yeah. choice because they wanted him to be an alien, play the role of Dallas. Oh, really? So, no, because Star <laughs> Wars money. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And then when Alien came out, it became a big hit, they were like, oh, missed opportunity. <laughs> So another opportunity presented itself as Blade Runner with the same director as Alien. <laughs> same director. And it's a science but fiction we, film. But we didn't do it so well. Oops. Mm -hmm. Another time this happened was uh, Jurassic Park. They wanted him to be Dr. Alan Grant. Yeah. He said no. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let's be honest. Can, it's hard to picture him as Alan Grant when it, after seeing Sam Neill, it, it's hard to do that. Oh yeah, very hard. I can like, I mean. Let's go back. If that never happened and we had Harrison, I'd be like, okay, cool. It would Harrison be just and Spielberg. Another Indiana Jones, but with dinosaurs. Yeah, because it's Harrison and Spielberg with adventure movies, and he'd have a hat too. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, like, it's, almost, it's the same thing. Is he paleontology? Yeah, exactly, basically. <laughs> I mean, they might as well have Indiana Jones make a cameo in Jurassic Park and say, okay, it's a, it's a crossover thing. Well, what's her name in the movie? The blonde lady. They're like somewhat, Sattler. Yeah, they're like somewhat together. Yeah, yeah. We, they never really define. Are they boyfriend girlfriend or something like yeah, that? Yeah, because Jeff Goldman's like, are you guys like, yeah, we are, <laughs> and it's like. What does that mean? Yeah, they never really... And then the third one, they're broken up, which was like... I don't know why they did that. It's weird. Plot. Plot, Plot basically. Points. That's yeah. what happened, because like, the kid needs to call... Mom needs the dinosaur man. Call the Marines in to save them from dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> like, she has authority to call in Marines. Yeah, all these questionable <laughs> choices that they made with that movie. But you know, that's besides the point. That's a, that's a uh, far that's interior a... film to Blade Runner. <laughs> anyway, um, back, to, back to Harrison Ford's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, performance performance there is some scenes where it's like they probably shot it so many times that he didn't care yeah he probably looks so he looks tired and he was tired for quite a while the movie because 
you know, it's like the environment of the set was very depressing. You know, you have neon, but you got like trash everywhere. You've got rain machines. You've got fog. It's cold. It's damp. You have Ridley Scott, and he didn't get along with the American crew very much because um, British crews they they're very more they're more um, formal. They always have like a tea break and everything. Yeah. And George had, George had the problem with filming Star Wars in England, and um, even James Cameron had the problem filming Aliens because they didn't think like he would much of them because they hadn't seen the Terminator at the time. Um, so it was hard for him to get the respect of the British crew. Oh, cultural difference. Yeah, it, it really is interesting. And you know, they have to have their tea breaks, they have like they they have labor union regulations and everything very different from the United States. Um, so then so Ridley had a hard time with the American crew. Um, but uh, back to Harrison. Oh yeah, so you know when the studio saw the dailies they were expecting like this really, really grand science fiction film. What they saw were like some some dirty streets full of trash with neon blowing, and you know, tr with, with you know, just trash blowing in the wind. So it was like not really what they expected. I was like, what? So they, they didn't know what to ex what to do with the movie. Honestly, that's why the marketing is so action oriented. Yeah, they're trying to get every penny back. Because mm -hmm. um, back to the so the author, you know, he submitted it to Hollywood. He he was never actually a fan of Hollywood, Philip K. Dick, but. He saw an opportunity, because um, other other movies of his have been adapted, like uh, Man in the High Castle. Yeah, Minority Report also. Minority Report. A lot of stuff. He, he's a brilliant so guy. Recall. He did do a lot of amphetamines. He was you know, pretty crazy. He had a lot of a lot of hallucinations. Died when he was fairly young, fifty two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when he saw the first twenty minutes, he said, "This is exactly how I'd imagine the future." Which is funny, because Ridley Scott never read the source material. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> he was like, "All right, cool." <laughs> Well, yeah, because um, the original title for the movie was, it was either Dangerous Days, the novella was called Do Android Dream of, Dream of Electric Sheep, but that's not really marketable to a mass well, audience. It's too long. It's, it's too long. Awkward. It's got sheep in it. Like, they're going to be confused. One of them was called Dangerous Days. No. So uh, one of the producers <laughs> just like saw the thought Blade Runner. And honestly, Blade, that, that's a cool sounding name because it, it implies like running along the edge of life. So it, even though it doesn't really relate to like retiring replicants, but it's, there's no knives in yeah. this movie. I mean, you got like that. That's some sort of sort of it's kind of like a crucifixion. Yeah, the nail. The nail, mm -hmm. but there there is no blade as far as I remember. Yeah, it just sounds cool, honestly. Blade Runner, yeah, it sounds really cool. It's just it's just a good name. Um, yeah, so you know, it definitely took a long time to get someone to finance this movie, and then once it was finally made, we have Ridley, who's very very close attention to detail. Yeah, it kind yeah. of and more time. That's more budget, more more days you have to shoot. Um, okay, what next? Uh, um, let's talk about Rachel. 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 Um, as a character, I think she could have been fleshed out more. I think the scene with her and Harrison Ford, like the you know the scene I'm talking about, but uh -huh. that was a that was like um um. I guess they're trying to pay attention. They're trying to pay an homage to like these old nineteen forties noir films because they have the, the blinds drawn. You have the shafts of light going in. Yeah. But Harrison looks so angry just at life in general. It's like this rapey scene. Yeah, it's just like it's. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. Um, I thought of it. Okay, let me try to get some something out of it. Cause like, first time. He goes in that elevator and does that fake yawn. It's a very fake yawn. I hate that scene. It's just, it's just like this, you know. And uh, I think she like coughs or something. Turns around with a pistol drawn. And it's yeah. her, and he's like, "Oh no, she's here." 
Mm-hmm. And it's not like the, oh, here's my crush. It's more like, there's this robot here. Yeah, he's just kind of like, go away. He's just like, it's just Harrison Ford, like, go away. Yeah, he like um, storms in his house, and he's like, you want a drink? And he realizes, oh, wait, she's not a person. Why should I offer her a drink? Yeah, like, how do you treat it? Well, he even, like, refers to her as an it. He's like, how does it, how can it not know what it is? Yeah. Um, And maybe it's just, she's getting exposed to the idea of, like, intimacy for the first time or alcohol for the first time. Um, I mean, I I do think she's a good example. Like, her character is just how you never know. I mean, in real life, some people can be fake. They can have a different identity. But Rachel is really one of the realest person people in the movie. You know, she's she's afraid. She she's like willing to express her emotions, but it, it's hard for her. Because um, she basically she's just a clone of Tyrell's niece. So it, it's, very innocent. Yeah, sure. very innocent, very naive. Um, her hair starts up, you know, really up, you know, pulled up, and then she lets her hair down near the end. Um, That's funny. My girlfriend was like. How's that even possible? Because like, I'll try to make the I'll try to defend it. It's like, oh, maybe her hair is pulled back. She's like, no, it's poofy. Now it's yeah, it's like I, I thought the same thing. Like, like, how does that her hair change? It's replicant hair. It I guess like so I'm trying can, to say if she's like you can no, adjust it. Sorry, it's like whoever buys the replicant can adjust the hair to whatever they prefer. I suppose. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just continuity error. Not gonna get that. You know, whatever. But um, so back to that love scene it's not even a love scene it's like a forced kiss scene yeah. so like Harrison Ford Red Deckard he um he's drunk yeah he's like alcohol in him and he like feels bad right cause he's like I'm sorry I made a bad joke it's a terrible apology it's horrible yeah. but like he feels bad she starts crying it's very human like emotion it's the first time she's ever cried probably probably yeah she feels bad cause she... it's like also, I paused the movie and I turned to my girlfriend I'm like imagine someone says like all your memories are fake Mm-hmm. Everything, all the love you've ever felt is wrong. It's not real. It's not real. It's somebody, like honestly, if, if that and I, if I realized that were the truth, I'd be really sad too. Yeah, who wouldn't? Because my, you know, basically that's your entire identity. Because your, your memories are what are basically, yeah, it's your identity. It's you, it's yours. Yeah, your your memories determine who you are. So it's really hard to like let those go. Yeah, and so like the second time she appears, it's it's actually the second time when she appears is when she shoots Leon, and they go back to his place. And I guess he's trying to make up for what he did earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. and he's I guess he's giving in to like oh maybe maybe this can work maybe yeah maybe maybe it's possible to be happy or maybe she's more human than human yeah yeah more human than than a human um, so he's kind of like forcing it she gives in mm-hmm. and she stays in the apartment and so he goes out to finish the job to find Leon I mean uh, find a prison. Roy. Yeah, and then he's probably wondering the entire time, does he have to do it to Rachel too? Does he have to kill her? Because um, Bryant knows about Rachel. And Gaff yeah. knows about her too. Yeah, but Gaff shows up at the end and yeah. he's like, it's too bad she's not going to live. But then again, who does? And he leaves the unicorn. He was there in the apartment. you know, So he left that there. And I, I wish we got more stuff about Gaff um, from in 2049, but we just got that one scene with him. But it's for the mystery. And that was, it was a great mystery in 2049, let's be honest. Um, I just I think Gaff was great, and I was reading some background about the character and, and the actor. He wanted to sh- he did his own little things for his character. He he picked out the makeup and the clothing and the origami thing. That was all his his idea to make Gaff a little more something. Um, so Gaff, you know, if we're gonna talk about in the racial 
context, like, Gaff is supposed to be of, like, Mexican and Chinese descent. That's what the actress said. And he's very proud of it. Mexican-Chinese-Japanese descent, so he's, he, and he's very proud of it. And so the actor, Edward James Olmos, he invented the city-speak language, which is, like, it's Japanese, Hungarian, whatever. Um, just to add a little, little more culture, a little more layer to it. And yeah, because, like... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Deckard's, and Deckard's just the white guy. <laughs> just yeah, the he, white he, dude. He's no culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I'm sure he has ancestry from many places in Europe, but he's just like the model American, I guess, like the disillusioned American. Um, you kind of like draw a Vietnam War um, parallel, you know, where Asia is now thriving in America. You know, these, these like classical, the white American has kind of fallen, you know, because they couldn't adapt to the changing world. I had somewhat of a similar thought in Los Angeles when I went back. It was a very Blade Runner-like night. It was raining. Yeah, sure. Was, it was uh, neon lights, and I was eating Vietnamese food. I was eating noodles, to be more exact. <laughs> the server really did remind me, not to be racist, of that dude, the sushi master. Yeah. He yeah. sounded exactly the same. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't tell anyone because no one around me had watched the movie. Yeah, no, no one could remember like, hey, you. Did you see Blade Runner? Didn't he remind <laughs> you of you? Well, the sushi guy. And they probably they probably wouldn't remember the the. The no, they wouldn't know that. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was interesting because I was sitting there with my brother. And I looked around the restaurant, and there was Middle Eastern people. Yeah. There were Latinos. Mm-hmm. I would assume Central American. Yeah. And I was like, "This is really queer. This is really weird. This is cool, though." Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, just in the world we live in, like American American cities have such a diversity. Like, you go to New York, you have these, you know, different pizza places owned by different ethnicities. You have these food trucks and everything, nighttime in New York, you go to Chinatown, hmm. and you don't have just, just have Chinese people there, you have different people, uh, different backgrounds, you have Little Italy, and it's interesting to see how these neighborhoods just like spill into each other. Um, yeah. You have like, on the fringes you have like, you know, Italians and Japanese getting along, and you have, you know, Japanese and Chinese getting along, and even Chinatown in New York, you have these, a whole like center, a city center that has, you know, statues of famous, of, I think Chiang Kai-shek, some of the founders of Chinatown, um, and besides that, and a lot of the stuff is written in Chinese characters. Uh-huh. Just like I like how they have the Chinese characters graffitied over everything in the Chinatown yeah, the neon, area. Neon lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got bikes everywhere, um, and even like back in University of Delaware, biggest party party school of America, which is weird because Delaware. But really? Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's number one party school, next to West Virginia. How do you how do you rank that? How do you measure that? <laughs> just like how many parties per how, year how, how, many tons how, how much alcohol is, is consumed maybe you've got these crazy you got these college guys or these frat boys that are going over to their frat houses but they we have we have a place that's an, called Alibaba but it also has a hookah bar and so I, I go inside my dad and I like to go there to eat it's a nice place and then they have a separate like a hookah bar area if you people want to do that smoke spilling out a little yeah, bit yeah it's kind of like that <laughs> it's kind of like and, and they have the, they have the Middle Eastern music playing they we um they have one place you can just like sit cross-legged, you know, like, they're just like cushions that you sit oh, on. I hate sitting cross-legged. Which, which is yeah. cool. Some, some areas you have other places you have tables. But um, you see the smoke coming out of the, the room, you know, you've got the people just talking everywhere. It's very like warmly lit. You have the music. It's, it's just everything that has the multicultural idea, uh, multicultural concept of Blade Runner, which I love. Yeah, and um, that particular scene where he goes to eat dinner, he like, he's like, I want four, whatever four is. Yeah. Like, I want four. And the guy's like, No, you want two. Like, that's it. <laughs> four, four. You want four. Two, two, four. <laughs> yeah. And then like, you know, he gives him his food, and he's like, they're about to like just chow down. That's when like, 
uh, Gaff shows up. And, like, they're speaking to him, and he pretends not to know, and he's just like, hey, you, like... It's like, tell him I'm eating. Like, mm-hmm. translate for me. You say, you Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, that's just Harrison right there. It's <laughs> interesting, though. He all, they have, like, real newspapers still in this future. Like, yeah. he, he's reading a newspaper, like, an actual paper newspaper. Um, so it is interesting, like, what they thought the future would be, like, in 1982. Um, yeah, because, like... They have, like, the replicant animals. Yeah. That implies that ecosystems are done. Well, they explain mm-hmm. that in the next movie. Yeah. Ecos- ecosystems, ecosystems have failed. Pretty much. So, like, there's that. It doesn't rain like that in Los Angeles. Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's never, it's never dark. We, we know if Los Angeles is a sunny place. Mm-hmm. The light. I mean, even at nighttime, the light is crazy. Um, um, I'm sure. Nightlife. So, yeah, like, just the environment of that movie, to me at least, it, it's like a dark and gritty future. Pretty much. And we see this, like, how many anime... I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of anime, but I can see its influence in anime and manga, even just cartoons in general, other movies. It's it's profound. Like, you, you see this Blade Runner vibe everywhere, even in The Matrix, especially. Yeah. Matrix especially. Matrix, yeah, did you see that there? Um, uh, what came out first, Blade Runner or The Dark Knight Returns? Uh, Blade Runner. Oh. Returns came out in 1986. And then the Batman 89 came out in 1989. So, and even Batman Begins, I was reading an article about Christopher Nolan, how, so Batman Begins, you notice the city changes from Batman Begins to the Dark Knight. You have a much more, it's, and and that's not a problem because it's not like a plot floor continuity error because. It does change. Yeah, the area that, it's more comic booky, which I I wish they kind of stuck with in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, but I get, they're trying to do a realistic thing. They shoot, it looks more like Chicago in The Dark Knight, and then they shot in Pittsburgh in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, but especially The Narrows, which is the, that's the, the poorer area. And well, I, that felt very comic booky. It's very Blade Runner-ish. Um, it's based on the, it was based on both Blade Runner, because you have a lot of rain, you've got telephone wires hanging everywhere, uh-huh. you've got trash, you've got like stuff hanging on the laundry clothesline and stuff. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so it, it felt very comic booky, and I, I just like how just seeing Batman in the rain, that was just such a cool thing. He's like, swear to me, yelling at the guy. And you have a lot of cult, multicultural um, aspect there as well. It's very crowded. I like the monorail there too, and I guess they, they got rid of that for the Dark Knight. Um, well, it blew up, so, you know. Yeah, it blew up, so they, they can explain that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and, but and then it's interesting how they go to like the more realistic uh, view for the Dark Knight, which is basically Chicago. Which is, you know, it's not a problem. I, I like how they did that. It's more topical, relatable to terrorism today with the, with the Joker yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Batman begins like that. That's a very special idea, just special view of, of Gotham. And that's kind of a Gotham I'd like to see n- more Batman stories. Mm. Um, yeah, because we, I, I'm, you know, it's just like very, it's warm light, rain. It's just, it's just a very disgusting area, the Narrows, in that, in that movie. People where, avoid it. You don't want to be associated with that. It's where Arkham is, and then they have they have the bridges that connect it and separate it from the rest of um, of Gotham, too. Um, yeah, so you you definitely see that in Batman Begins. Other movies, Minority Report, of course. It's a very very gritty film. So gritty, in fact, that the cinematographer took the film stock and put some bleach in it, <laughs> and, and the developer put some bleach in there, so it looks very washed out. Like the focus, it's still in focus, but like the it's so, it looks really overexposed, which is really, really cool. 
Um, I, I never watched that movie. It's pretty good. Really good effects for 2002. Um, Tom Cruise, you know, yeah. our favorite action star slash Scientologist. Um, and even there was a Ghost in the Shell movie that came out a few years back. It looked, it looked pretty. I mean, I heard it wasn't very good in terms of story. That's what uh, Scarlett Johansson, right? Yeah, Scarlett Johansson is the, the Japanese character. Um, That's funny. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, even the Japanese said that they didn't care if she was yeah. white. You know, they're like, oh, it's just like um, adapting a German, a German movie for an American audience. Oh. Or, you, you know what I mean? Um, and then even the Alita Battle Angel, which I was telling you about yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm interested in that. My cousin was a big anime fan. He was really excited for this movie. I'm interested... I don't know much about it, but it looks interesting. Neither do I. It's got Christoph Waltz in it, which is always good. He's, he's the best. It is always a treat to see his performances. Even like movies like Water for Elephants or The New Tarzan. I only watch those movies <laughs> just for him. For Christoph Waltz. And his, he just has like a, a, a delight. It's, it's just so great hearing his voice, his German accent. It's just <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I just love the way he says things, like like in Django Unchained. It's just like, I don't know. Um... But this is a pet project of James Cameron. He's been trying to make it for like twenty years, but he's, he's been he's, he's been trying to make things for twenty yeah. years. Instead, he goes in the ocean for for forever and just like comes out with oxygen deprivation, makes Avatar instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but Robert Rodriguez is directing, who directed Sin City and a couple other movies. Okay. Um, Sin City is also very moody. Yeah. Oh, judging from the trailers, I haven't seen that movie. But. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Sin City. I, I have to watch that because I know it's really really good. Very bloody. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Because it was written by the comic was written by Frank Miller. Frank Miller has a reputation for making stuff very, very gritty, very violent. Um, Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen has some sort of uh, inspiration from. Yeah, especially there, there's a couple scenes where Rorschach, you know, he, very long scenes of him just walking down the streets of New York, near you know, on the the East End. There's you know the xxx stores there's the peep show advertisements there's prostitutes everywhere offering him you know, all that stuff uh, it's like Blade Runner where it's like the girls with yeah the with hockey masks, masks dancing in the, it's <laughs> I like, noticed that it's like two seconds long yeah that that was actually something they put in for the final cut <laughs> just like it's like that that's what was missing from the final cut we just had to have strippers and hockey masks dancing in a plastic tube I hope they have air holes in the tube though. oh like, hilarious I did not notice that until last night yeah it's like okay Ridley I see I see you <laughs> Old man. Old, dirty old man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, he, I get it. Uh, Need your kicks on that? Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Good old, good old Ridley. Good old Hollywood. Speaking of uh, dancing women, okay, so back in that bar where he's like, you buy snakes or whatever with that scale. Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> he's so great. Like, oh, my, 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 my man's dry. Then he calls like Rachel on like that FaceTime. Yeah, the video phone thing. Costs like a dollar or something. Yeah, dollar twenty five. And I guess in the eighties that's a lot of money for just a phone call. It's, it's like a thirty even second. Even now, phone man. Call. Yeah, even like now, a... thirty seconds, like that's not well, inflation I guess. And uh She's like at home, like in her pajamas. It's like where is that? Yeah, is, that is she in Tyrell? Like is Tyrell monitoring this? Is she just watching it like a whole puppet master thing? Yeah, and then like he sits um, down and He's having his drink, and in the background, yeah. it's like, it's like they announce the show. Watch mm-hmm. her take the pleasure from the snake that once corrupted man. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of meaning there, <laughs> right? Because like in the book of yeah, Genesis, Adam and Eve, right? you know, Adam and Eve. it's a pretty pretty classical story. You know, you could 
You could even read in, yeah, I mean, you could read in the, the biblical allegories. You have There's the, uh-huh. Zora the Temptress and everything, how she traps Deckard and chokes him with his tie. So that, that's why you don't wear a tie. It's, it's a noose, I'm telling you. But in that particular scene, we hear that, I don't know, I don't know if you remember, this very fast scene in Godfather Part Two, where mm-hmm. they're in Cuba. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, like, why do they call him Superman? You know, remember that? Where, like, I don't remember that. Okay, it's, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very vague, okay, it's not vague, but it's a, the reference is something that happened in Cuba during, before the revolution. Mm-hmm. Cuba was known as like this, like, party, Las Vegas type place. Oh, yeah. A lot of different types of shows there. In the 40s okay? and 50s, yeah. Yeah, and so, that particular scene with Fredo, with his buddies, and Michael, who's kind of like hanging out in the back, mm-hmm. is like, watch, watch, his name is Superman. That, the show they're watching is supposed to be a sex show. Yeah. Okay, like, no one, I didn't even know this. So you have to, like, dig deep to, like, yeah, understand to, that to the implications and everything. There's a lot of rumors that this dude had a very massive thing going on. Yeah. Very much endowed. And so, okay, let me just, just hear me out, okay? Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. There's something I've read that's just me, just what I thought, what inspired that scene in uh, Blade Runner. Um, so, like... Fredo is with his dudes. Uh-huh. So you'll see in a second why they call him Superman. And you see the guy walk out, right? You hear the music. The girls mm-hmm. are like dancing on stage. And it's all shot from their point of view. Oh, right, right. Uh, Fredo and Michael. Mm-hmm. And you see the guy takes off his robe. Oh. As, you're, as you're about to see it, it cuts back to like the group. And they're like taking it back. They're like, whoa, <laughs> that's why they call him Superman. Mm-hmm. And that's when, gotcha. right there, that's when um, Fredo just kind of gives himself away like, Oh, old man, blah, 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 would never come here. I don't, you know. Oh. Hyman yeah. Roth would never come here. And that's what Michael is like. He realizes, oh. oh. This is what's going on. Well, I'm trying to say. Uh, well, anyway, it's a great, great scene, great movie. I'll have to watch it again just so I can, like, see the rest <laughs> of the context. Well, how I'm trying to connect with Blade Runner is that it's kind of the same show. That's true. Okay, a lot of our listeners are probably from the school. You're listening to the show. Maybe Blade Runners are in rated R. Anyways, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that Zora mm-hmm. is taking pleasure from the snake. Use your imagination. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, Over next scene is funny because he's hanging out like in the back. And he's having that, he's got that weird high voice. He's that she, stupid. She, 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 he's like, hello, I'm from the, the, the Department of Talent Management or whatever. <laughs> I, I'd like to check your dressing room for holes. Have you done anything that's morally questionable? And she's like naked as he's yeah as he's asking like, these questions and like why is he snake, doing right? voice? <laughs> I, yeah, that voice. Like, why does he do that? I guess he he knows she won't recognize his voice, but his like, voice does drop too because yeah. he like looks up and like he goes back to Harrison Ford voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he looks at the snake scales and everything. He's like. Yeah, he's like, you know, being detective you'd, work. You'd be surprised what a guy would go through to, to get a glimpse of a beautiful body and all <laughs> that. Um, and then, you know, I guess for the time, she was a pretty girl. Pretty lady, right? Zora, we can sure. all say. She's, yeah, she's you know, pretty, somewhat. pretty girl. And she's like, you know, taking a shower, which probably influenced the next movie, because the shower comes from the top down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like, and it, it shoots at you from all directions. The water, It just like cleans you by, by yeah, itself. Boom, really fast. And then like that crazy, like, hair drying. Yeah. My girlfriend was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah the hair dryer <laughs> thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then boom, he like she like hits him really hard. Yeah, and it's like, holy crap, that's a replica. She's strong. Because yeah. I'm like, buddy, you, you need to like be smarter than this. You know, like Deckard, he, 
He should have his gun on him at all times. He should like pull out his gun whenever. Um, but the scene that follows is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So chaotic, just chaotic streets. There's you've got some Harry Krishna monks behind him. Uh-huh. You have like they're singing their song, like someone's banging a tambourine. You've got all these, so many sounds. It's so many sounds everywhere. Like it's it's so it makes the head just. It's too overwhelming. For me, especially last night watching it, it feels like you're rushing. Yeah. And you're in traffic. Mm-hmm, and basically. it's like, don't they know I'm in a rush? Yeah, yeah. Like, get out right, of the way. Right. Get out of the way. <laughs> he has to, like, and Harrison like did his own stunts. He would climb top of the, the, the wet cars that were covered in rain, like slipped a couple times, but he was okay. Because Harrison typically does his own stunts, except for very extreme... Well, yeah, he had a stuntman for Raiders a lot, and, and when he broke his back on Temple of Doom, but he did quite a few of his stunts by himself. Because that's just the kind of guy he is. Yeah, um, he's like running into people... Get out of the way! Mm-hmm. Move! Well, that's how it is in real in real life. Yeah, like New York. Pe- people like... are yelling at you in New York. Like New Yorkers have the reputation for being rude, and that's very true. You got the cabbies; they're booking accidentally. You know, I'm, I'm walking here. It's just really, very. It's, there's no like time to just sit and chat in the city. You have to just. It's just hustle. Yeah, and like no one, no one stands up to him. They're just all right. <laughs> and he has a gun. Yeah. He shoots and misses. <laughs> probably the most exciting thing that they've had in a while. Or maybe that happens every day and they're just jaded. That's true. Yeah. Because there's a lot of cops everywhere. Finally, yeah. he shoots her. It's a very uh, dramatic scene. And very graphic, too. I, I like how they had... It's like it's this like rubber chest and they, it blows out from outward. You see the red stuff and everything. Yeah, he shoots her a couple the of times. The flesh, yeah, in the back. And she crashes through the glass a couple of times. Yeah. And there's like, there's like mannequins and they have these glowing rings on their neck and they're... Right. I, I guess it's like some, some shot that he shoots her in. You know what I think about it? Mm-hmm. That scene, as far as I remember, is probably one of the more brightly lit scenes in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just like... More of a con- like a, it's a pretty stark contrast because like mm-hmm. it's like blood. You want They want to show. Maybe that's why it was so bright because they want to show like that explosive bullet going through. Projectile mm-hmm. going through and just boom. Nailing a... Zora, because all the lights, she's going through like these like displays. Yeah, just crashing through them, and the actress when she was doing that, she she cut her knee a couple times tripping, and they had a stunt double for one of the shots when she's crashing the glass, but they didn't fix it till the final cut where they, she actually reshot the scene twenty years later. Really? Yeah, the actress jo- um, Joanna Cassidy, she did, reshot the entire scene, um, and yeah, you know, she was older, but from that distance you can't tell. I guess. You really can't tell. So it's, it's really interesting seeing how they finished it wow. that way. Um, and that's when he gets all like... Yeah, he starts getting the shakes. He has to buy the, the sake from the, the, the one-eyed lady. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, you know, no one, bl- no one blinks. Just gets a drink. That world. Mm-hmm. I like the police officer outfits in this in this universe, too. I mean, they're they're very... They're world-weary. I, they have that, like, plastic shield with the air holes in the front. It's like a semi-riot gear. Yeah, yeah. They're just prepared in case there's civil unrest. Mm. And there probably would be. Let's consider that there would be a lot of unrest with all these poor people here. Yeah. And the cops probably don't make much money either. So, you know, it's just trying to survive. That's the goal. Yeah, there's a... My, my friend pointed it out to me when I watched it back home. Um, he's going to go to the snake dealer. And as he's going through, like, this bazaar, like, the ostriches and stuff, mm-hmm. there was, like, a booth with, like, a policeman standing in it. Yeah, it's like a so custom, tiny. customs official. Yeah, it's super tiny. My friend's like, dude, that's the policeman's like yeah. office, and I was like, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Well, because uh, the police may have a, a lot of power, but I guess like a, a beat cop on its own is not going to have a lot of power. They probably take deals from people. They probably Get money. take bribes. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's how it is in real life. You know, we like protection rackets and stuff like that, um, and, and other things. Just cities, they make people corrupt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So talking about jobs in this film. Like t- these, like today, if you were to want, if you want to get sushi, you're gonna pay a lot of money. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's right. That, that's a, it's pretty penny. That's, that's an expensive date. Mm-hmm. And then Blade Runner. That guy is on the street. Master sushi master. Yeah, just 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 go get some noodles. Right. right. I mean, that's that's his title of the movie, Sushi Master. <laughs> but he's like part of the lower working class. Yeah. Like we we call sushi chefs like, oh wow, that's great. Yeah, they're so talented. They're so they. We put so them on good. this pedestal. Yeah. But then chew. Was a genetic engineer. But he's living in this poor little like uh-huh. hole in the wall place. It's, like, I, it's called Eye World, I think. Yeah, it's not like that. Um, it's like on the side. Yeah, it's just like Eye World. It's like anyone can walk in and buy some new eyes. Um, which you know, your eyes. just how cheap organs are, and I, I imagine like the the organ harvesting market's probably big here because they can get replicant organs, they can get oh, yeah. all this stuff. So people live longer, but they also depends on who can afford it. It's, it's an interesting thing you bring up because my friend he lived in uh, China mm-hmm. and uh, I saw him over the break he was telling me that like, in China you can get anything oh yeah and I was like what do you mean like, you, you want a new liver you can get a new liver you want a new kidney you can get yeah, a new liver yeah there's a lot of shady stuff serious? going on with, with like organ harvesting really illegal with the Chinese government or just Chinese businesses you know underground black market businesses are doing it's crazy um, so that, that could be part of that Blade Runner world. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure it is. I'm sure it is because I'm, I'm sure there's some people that can't afford new eyes. <laughs> like there, there's that one-eyed lady who sells them the, the alcohol. Yeah, she, she, she can get a new eye. <laughs> she's selling beer. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, maybe, like, Chew, he seems kind of, like, content just living in his little hole-in-the-wall place. Yeah, you know? he's got, like, his jacket. Right? He's, got, he's got the big jacket, all those tubes that keep him warm. He's you know, muttering to himself. <laughs> yeah, he's he is. Like, totally is. <laughs> He's like, need some agada, which means what are you doing in Chinese? Um, I believe so. It's been a while since I took class. But, uh, um, yeah, and that's that's James Hong. And his voice is really recognizable from a lot of cartoons. He's been in Whoa. Avatar, Last Airbender. He's, he was in um, Big Trouble in Little China, which I, I have never seen, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah, I want to see that, too. Because it has a lot of Blade Runner influence with Kurt Russell. Um, yeah. There's, like, that song playing as he gets, like, his sake. Oh, yeah, yeah. That shows up in the soundtrack. I was listening to the soundtrack this past week, and I was like, that's such a weird... Why would it show... Because the whole soundtrack is very, like, synthetic. Very, yeah, well, and it's Ben Gellis. Um, he also did the soundtrack for Chariots of Fire. He, and so what he did, he not only wrote his music, but he performed it, he composed and performed it. Wow. So typically, you know, uh, you'll just say, you'll compose it, and maybe you'll also conduct the orchestra. But of course, it's just him using the uh, the keyboard to make the sounds. He would just watch the the film, and he would just compose with the feeling that he got from the scene. So it was very spontaneous what he got. And of course, the saxophone comes in for love themes. So we had to have someone else play the saxophone, but mostly it's it's just him performing it. Um, he's Greek, so I think that's I, I'm pretty sure that's something that like it's that vocal song, the vocals by that woman. That he, it's like the. You hear it in the background. Yeah, it's in the background. It's it sounds not, like it sounds like it's yodeling almost in a way. It's like it seems like it's been played on the radio. Yeah. It's like someone's playing it at that where he's getting that drink. 
Was it like was it like Brian a, shows up. There's like a 1940s song playing sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was it shows up in the soundtrack, and you listen to it, and it's like, what is this doing here? And mm-hmm. you realize it's oh, it's in the background of the movie. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of ironic after. Um, yeah, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it's pretty ironic. Yeah, yeah, because he just he just shot a woman in the back, and now he's getting <laughs> drunk over it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the music is uh, pretty hypnotic, I would think. Uh, I told you before, my favorite part of the soundtrack is, is the love theme. It's like that saxophone. Yeah, saxophone. It's, I mean, it's if you have a relationship different than Rachel and Deckard, I'm sure it's, it'll be great, really very romantic, but in the context of that one scene, it's not not really, but I, I really do like the track. I think the whole soundtrack is brilliant. I like it better than 2049, even though I love Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Um, his, his is more extreme. Like he uses the sounds of like these car engines revving. It's very like just machines and I, but I like that too and he, he pays homage to Van Gallus as well which is the good very end he does yeah mm-hmm. it's a nice touch so it's, it's like you know it's just like going up and down the soundtrack um, yeah sometimes people get kind of lazy with soundtracks especially to a, se- a sequel to a really good movie they can just repeat it and of course you've got to use the same theme yeah you got to leech off it yeah of course of course um, you got you got to do that but uh Zimmer and then Benjamin Wallfish, he also helped, he also composed, so let's not leave him out of pictures because Zimmer's there. They both did a great job on the soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, for 2049. But like, think about how many times we've heard a synth soundtrack in a sci-fi movie. Like, Vangelis is there to, to thank. Yeah, sometimes it gets over the top. Yeah. It gets kind of over the top in some, like, Robocop. Yeah. It gets yeah. over the top a little bit. Ter- ter- Terminator. Well, Terminator, I mean, that, that came out two years later, and, um, I mean, I like Terminator because it's very minimalistic since it was such a small budget. More like Terminator 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, Terminator 2. You hear a lot of Blade Runner in that, too. A lot of synth because they had more money. Even, um... What was it? I would say... Even The Matrix, too. <laughs> Matrix has some... It has I some like, classic like instruments. like the first movie in The Matrix. Yeah. Reloaded and Revolutions, get, they get too much... It's too much, too much science fiction. It gets over the top. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, like I love my sci-fi. I like my hard sci-fi, realistic sci-fi. But Matrix Reloaded Revolutions, it's just like, all right, it's too right, much information. Right. <laughs> I like, like, like you could split that into like four movies. It's just so much. Um, yeah, but yeah, this past year, 2017, 2018, I should say. <laughs> Whoa. Oof. Yeah, 2018, 2017. Those two years, I reignited my my love for the first Matrix. I sat down one day with my mm-hmm. friend. I'm like, okay, let's just watch this because he's a big fan. Yeah. I'm like, I've seen this when I was a kid. Let's yeah. Watch it yeah. now. We watched the movie and I was like, dude, this is great. I yeah, it's it. good. It's good. Yeah, the movie's fantastic. Good CGI for the time, and then uh, the Wachowskis made Jupiter Ascending. Oh. I heard that. I, I didn't even watch it, but I just from the trailers, like, it had great visuals, and from the reviews that I read, even parts of it that I watched, it's visually it's good. But it's like it's so desperate to be a world building franchise starter that it, it doesn't work. I after I watched the first Matrix, I watched Cloud Atlas. Which I, I heard was fairly good. Great visuals. <laughs> too much story. It was it was too complicated for the average viewer. Yeah. I mean, I can catch up. I was able to piece things together. It, it's tr- it's trying to be like the Matrix. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get like everything get, is get connected. Which I, that's that's a cool idea. Um, but it's just it's just a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I was saying this with my girlfriend about Blade Runner. I'm like Blade Runner, 
It's not as straightforward as like Alien. Yeah. Aliens look simple. You can put that story into any setting. Mm-hmm. It could be truckers. It could be oil workers. That's right. They they find a monster. Be, yeah, it could mm-hmm. even be in an office. Yeah. <laughs> Jim right. Halpert finds yeah. a finds an alien, and <laughs> Dwight's really an alien. He has a thing burst out of his chest. I'm, I'm sure they would do an episode on that if the, the show was still going on. <laughs> but like, like I was telling you one time that like in Blade Runner. There is no heroes. There, there is no yeah, Iron Man. Black and white. Here to save the day. It's not trying to sell action figures. That's the thing. Uh-huh. Like that, that's, the, that's the thing. And even like, you know, Star Wars in 77, like that's a great, it's a great franchise. Um, one of the, probably the best sci-fi franchise we have today because it's still going strong, movie and TV wise. But like with Blade Runner, no heroes. You know, yeah, no, there's no, no, no one's going to go out and get a Deckard trench coat for Halloween. No, no five-year-old's going to do that. No one's going to pretend to shoot a naked, a half-naked woman in the streets, ballet. With snakes. Like, yeah, with snakes. Like, it, it's very hard sci-fi. I mean, like, we did talk about how, like, Roy is the hero, but it's not, like, a straight-on... Oh, it's not, he's, like, he's a poster boy thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not something that, like... Very you, don't, you don't put on that T-shirt, except I have him on my T-shirt, but... <laughs> I know. It's because, you know, I'm a fan. And, uh... Even Roy says that to, to Rick. He says, aren't you supposed to be the good guy? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, he's right. Aren't you supposed to be a good guy? He's running around howling. Like a wolf. Like that, that's, when that happened, I was like, okay. <laughs> I thought of it as like, he's starting to malfunction. He's yeah, starting he's, to he's die. really going off his rocker. He's really just going crazy. Right, his hands turning gray, and he's like, not yet, not yet. Mm-hmm. He's just, just biting a little it. more time. Desperate. Um, and I, I forget, there's one thing he's like, he's like, uh, I'm looking up right now. He's like, I do this, or I'm going to have to kill you. Unless you're dead. Can't, like, can't kill you if you're dead. Or something like that. Then you'll never live at all. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. Um, it's just a really, really good quote. Well, then the tears and rain at the end. That's amazing. Because um, Rucker Howard wrote that himself. Yeah, he did. Which is great. You know, it's like Marlin in Apocalypse Now. Um, oh, here's another quote by him. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. I thought about that as he said that in the movie. Mm-hmm. We can think about that. Not not literal slavery, like in the 1800s United States, but right. like slavery to favorite TV show. That's right. Slavery, slavery to social media. Social media is a goal. I got to update my status. I got to put something <laughs> there or else they will forget about me. That's scary, right? Yeah, and it's, it's really weird because I thought, I've, I've had those experiences too where I think, you know, if I don't like tell people where I'm going they're gonna or why I wasn't on why didn't they respond to the message like, it's like I have to apologize to them like I can't live my own life and we <laughs> talked about that in um, film, Cinema in the City class today how we are all, we all people watch we all observe people oh yeah with oh, Instagram though yeah we, we, with Instagram though like and then so, and Facebook and Twitter and everything else you basically like people are not, now just like snapshots they're just images to you they're not people anymore and all you worry about is like you want to be like this thing, a snapshot of someone's life that might have been really good, even though that they might be feeling like really bad about themselves, but they seem so confident yeah. and so happy. Um, Who was I saying this? So we're all living in fear. We're all slaves to our own selves. Slaves. What was, what was that line again? Um, terrifying to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. Or quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. Um, I was telling somebody, forget who... 
It was like in the social media, they'll never show you a bad day. They'll never show you a day yeah. when they're ugly. They'll never show you a crappy. It's always a nice day. Well, then, and then you have you have defenses. People, they talk oh, all about. The worst. They complain about their lives, and they they make you feel so bad for them, or like that's their intention. But then when you offer to help, they're like, "Oh no, I'm fine. Don't worry about me." It's like. <laughs> They just want the attention. It's the uh, someone at my oh, my high school called it the attention whore effect. Attention whore effect, interesting. Basically, I mean that's basically what it is. Let's be honest. Even though the, the word whore is that's a bad word. Oh, it's in the scriptures, but you know what? It's in the scriptures, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, a lot of bad words in the scriptures that you should not quote Dang, verbatim. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, there's another quote. Yeah, you were talking about uh, aren't you supposed to be the good guy? So he says, "Not very sporting to fire from an, on an unarmed opponent." I thought you were supposed to be good. Aren't you the good guy? Come on, Deckard, show me what you're made of. So that, that's a lot of double meaning right there, too. Yeah. A lot of meaning right there. Because, like, uh, Roy could have easily killed him way earlier. Yeah, yeah. Takes his time. Seems like he's playing with his food. He's just toying with him. Show me what you really are. It's like, are you really human? Are you, like, worthy mm-hmm. enough to be human? He's, like, this fake guy, this, this replicant, taunting the human. Like, are you really human? I know. I think Roy had made the decision a long, long time ago. Because he already knows he's going to die. Yeah, like, so he Really soon, to. too, because he's like Chris and, like, pushes her tongue back in. Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of yeah. like somewhat of a reference to, like, putting coins underneath people's tongues. Ancient Greek times. Yeah. Um, and he closes her eyes, too, and gives her a kiss and, and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like... Yeah, he made the decision whether he's gonna kill Rick, Dick, uh, Rick. Deckard. Sorry. That's fine. Because um, he jumps across and saves him. He's about to slip. Mm-hmm. He tosses him off to the side and gives him his little. Well, he grabs arm. him. Yeah, yeah. And then he he pulls him up with just one arm. The the dove comes in out of nowhere, even though there shouldn't be <laughs> any animals. I mean, we haven't seen any doves yet. I'm sure they'd be like drenched in the acid rain and all. They'd be gray and filthy. Um, I thought of it like that was his soul. Yeah, it's his soul flying out. Like as he, when he died, obviously that would go, could let go of it. But it was like, oh man, like this guy showed Deckard what it was like to be human for once again. Right, right. Because Deckard, I mean, he's world weary, and then Roy, he takes the dove and he just monologues in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I pretty mean, much. He's. I mean, he's basically, you know, he's been stripped of his identity. Any uh-huh. life, you know. I, I guess people were asking, like, why does he have to be like in his undies to be to be fighting Rick? Um, probably, you know, just that's what he, that's what he is. Yeah, he's 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 just like clothes are how he their their way to identify, but he really has no identity. He's just a replicant. He's at his like base where he you know, like like how he was created. You know, he was created without clothes. You can go out without it. Well, it's like you, you see those tanks that people are floating in in 2049. They're just like these bodies that are being prepared to be alive. They're just, you know, floating with the umbilical cord, the artificial umbilical cord attached to something. Yeah. Not a crazy idea. It's interesting because after this scene, after he saves Deckard, he goes back to his apartment and he's calling out for Rachel. Mm-hmm. He's got his pistol out, right? Right. And she's there sleeping. He's, he's like soft. He's like softer. His voice seems more yeah. vulnerable. He's like Rachel. You know, he's very 
you know, like like a very sensitive Harrison. Yeah, he's a little mm-hmm. disturber, yeah. right? He's now seeing her as a person rather than a replicant that's been manufactured, mm-hmm. right? He like lifts it up all gently. She's under the blanket, and then they go. Or he's not telling her let's go. He's just kind of like motions. He's like, like we need to go. Cause, well, he knows the cops are gonna be Brian's gonna be coming. They may they might think he's a replicant. Um, yeah, and then. You know, before seeing twenty four nine, I had all these questions like, where do they go? And even twenty four nine, they keep that kind of kind of ambiguous where exactly they went when they had the child, um, you know, all that stuff. Well, Rachel does give an idea. She's like, "What if I go north?" Yeah, north. Would you go after me? And he's like, "Someone will." Mm-hmm. And that isn't the next film. Well, it's in that. I'm not sure if it was in that. I don't know if they lived in that Vegas casino for a while. Um, My personal theory was. Um, Vegas was, I guess, attacked. It was they say it lost the radiation. Can't yeah, the there. nuclear nuclear attacks. I I thought of it like, oh, that's he realized no one will be there. Oh yeah, yeah. So he goes so to Vegas. Might as well just go mm-hmm. stay there. That's right. It's a casino. Um, yeah, and then they have the child, of course, and then the child, Rachel dies, I think, and then Decker gives her. Oh no, I think maybe Decker disappears. I, I think Decker disappears before because. They were being hunted, like he says. So then Sapper, Dave Bautista's character, takes care of Rachel, helps deliver the baby, because they said that there was a C-section scar. Yeah, he was a medic. Yeah, field medic. Um, and then he buries Rachel, and then brings the child somewhere. Or Decker takes the child, I don't know. It's... No, Decker does, is around for the birth. Okay. Because he says he, he showed him how to, like, bury the records. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. like, when, they, when he shows up at that Cover the crazy uh, sweatshop or- orphanage... Mm-hmm. Like the book, there's missing pages. Basically, yeah, Apple Inc. right there um, in China. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's missing pages. So Decker covered the tracks, and that's that's where. And then he makes the fake record for the boy. Yeah, because there's two records: yeah. girl and boy. Girl is dead. So it's like, oh boy. Boy might be somewhere. That's how Kay thinks. Maybe he's the child of Rachel and Decker. And then that he's the girl special. believes she has a doesn't have a immune system. She's oh yeah. Very more, more prone to get sick. And possibly death, so she believes that. That's why she's in that type of oh, the environment. Terrarium thing where she makes those memories. Which yeah, I thought that was worth, that was a cool idea. No one can go and get her fingerprint or blood because they're from the outside. And world. she has her own business of basically making memories for Wallace Court. Um, just hiding under their noses. Yeah, it's, isn't that crazy? Um, so yeah, like Rick went out of his way to protect his daughter, and and you know I I wish we could get the third one to find out what happens next, but I don't think we will. We can like, oh, there's a revolution. Yeah, we can we can a, repl- a replicant revolution more human than human, and I guess like a third film couldn't really do much. <laughs> you know, yeah, just because just the revolution and stuff, and I, I'd prefer to have that ambiguity. So maybe yeah, it's better to not get what I wish for. Yeah, the studio did not like, uh, really Scott's version where he just nods his head, gets in the elevator, and then boom. <laughs> the unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> they, they just, wanted a happy ending. Yeah, they want a happy ending where they go to the countryside, but it's like. <laughs> What what Oliver Harper was talking about is like that that makes no sense. Why would there be like greenery when we have this ruined, L A. You know, it's just like such a stark like jump. You know, why doesn't everyone go move there? How do they and if there is like a permit, how they slip out, in whatever like I guess car that they're in hover or was car. Was it like GPS on the car or the tracking it? <laughs> yeah. Just drives. Exactly going north, and and it, with the voiceover though, um, Decker does something says something that kind of relates to. Um, twenty forty nine. He's like, I didn't know how long Rachel had. Terrell said she was special, 
um, no expiration, no termination date. Um, we didn't know how, how long we'd have together. Who does? That was his final voiceover. So that could still be canon um, when we're talking about like the sequel of 2049. But, um, you know. Even Gaff says something similar, like, it's too bad she's not going to live. Yeah, then again, then again who does? Um, there's a, I forget, I think it's W.C. Fields. He says, life's so dangerous, you'd be lucky enough to get out of it alive. Mm-hmm. So, like, even Gaff, like, he obviously lets them go, because he still has a job, too. Yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't even want Deckard back. He wants Deckard to be out of his hair. Like, yeah. In, in the voiceover, he's like, yeah, Gaff's looking for a promotion. And, yeah, I guess Gaff seems like that. He's more loyal to, uh, to Bryant. Um, there's another quote here by Batty. He says, it's like, it's when he's... He busts his head through the bathroom wall. Yeah, he's like, and there's like a door right there. Yeah, he's like, he's like, you better get it up, or I'm gonna have to kill you. And then he says, unless you're alive, you can't play. And if you don't play, and then he gets cut off by Deckard attacking him. Um, so that you know, saying you better get it up, that's like targeting his masculinity and everything. Sort of thought. Yeah. I mean, it can be like get your gun up, get your pistol, yeah. but it can also be back at masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's like unless you're alive, you can't play. And I, you know, I guess that infers life is just a game. It, it's just a bunch of dangerous games that really, there's no humanity to it. <laughs> just you know, a bunch like of dangerous games. That's that's crazy. <laughs> well, just like just like how um, the original title is Dangerous Days. You know, it's just, yeah. Life is there's no meaning in life with people who live in this LA 2019. It's all just Blade Runners. Blade Runner. Yeah, it's just like survive. There, there's no love or happiness, and like with the replicants, especially like there's a there's a short about Sapper. Morton before 2049 and how he gets to where he is. He, ex- he gets exposed because he's trying to help a mother and daughter. Yeah. He's I trying agree. to do a good thing, but it ends up being his downfall. People people pride on him. Yeah. Even do. though they, they watch him save people, mm-hmm. they still go, oh, nope, sorry. With his replicant power. You know, he has the, he, he's super strong. He can like throw a Ryan Gosling, Gosling through a wall. Yeah. Or I guess Ryan Gosling can throw him through a wall. But anyway, basically he's really strong. And he's Dave Batista too. He's got a heart of gold, though. Um, he's a replicant. Yeah, because doesn't he bring the girl like a book? Yeah, yeah. Here he's, you go. he's being kind of the kind of the girl. He's trying to get them like safe passage or something. Like, uh-huh. yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, I wish they showed a little bit more of that character. Mm-hmm. He was there for just a little bit. Dave, just just to be just to be Dave Batista and do, throw some punches. But like he, he's, he's like, what's that smell? It's garlic. Garlic myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who eats like he, he cuts up pieces of garlic for for like a snack, and it's it's weird. That is. Too I, much I I've got garlic. I've got I've got weird friends, but anyway, <laughs> actually this is probably probably the, weird, the only weird thing he does. It's just a quirk. He says it clears out his immune system, but not. It's not like a snack. It's just like like a home remedy or whatever. It's the reset button on the immune <laughs> system. Basically, it's oh, like man. boom. It's okay. Interesting. But any, anyway, so that, that's besides the point. It has nothing to do um, uh, my friend and his, his eating habits. But, um, yeah, it's like... And then, and, and, you know, the state of food and everything. How are we going to eat in the future? Um, you also look at the, the extended version of Avatar, James Cameron, and the first five minutes you see Earth, and it's very much Blade Runner. It, it's pretty much Blade Runner. I don't remember, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's a long movie. It, and there's, like, three different versions, but I, I watched the um, the extended version, which has the opening scene on Earth, and it's basically Blade Runner, and you got all the advertisements 
There's more holograms and everything, which I don't okay. really like. And they have holograms in 2049, of course. Um, but I like how they use those then. They have the, the ballerina that's just like, shouldn't, it, you know, they're like all in the wrong place. You know, if you're like walking through a ballerina's legs, the hologram in 2049, you have the, the joy stuff and everything. Yeah, that shows up a lot of Instagram mm -hmm. recreations. Um, a movie I thought that would have Blade Runner influence, it kind of does. Mm -hmm. Is Ready Player One? Yeah, I thought they were gonna do a lot of stuff too. I thought there, I thought the real world would be grittier and just Blade Runner, right? I thought it'd be like, oh man, I want to escape reality. Yeah, but it seems just kind of normal, honestly. <laughs> the truth is, it's like you can function just well without the VR <laughs> technology. I mean, yeah, you have the the stacks of like I like the idea of the stacks of trailer homes. That was that was cool, that was really yeah. creative, honestly. But it's much bleaker in the book. I would assume so. And in the book, actually, there is a Blade Runner Easter. They actually like have to go through the entire Tyrell building. As in the part where The Shining happens, uh -huh. that was supposed to be the Tyrell building. Oh, uh, but that would, that would have been too obscure. Yeah, and people. also they were making twenty forty nine at the time, so they could they didn't like, want to nope, sorry. <laughs> tarnish Blade Runner's good name with that. So they was like, oh, Shining. I would like to see see the Tyrell building. They were gonna have have to take the void comp test and everything. Have like a. That happens in the book. Yeah, they they did the void comp. They they have like a whole recreation of that. Because it's like um, the James Halliday's like fifth favorite sci-fi movie. I don't know. There's like a bunch of James Halliday, great character, but um, visually yeah. speaking, that movie's great. A lot of homages to video games now and video games back in the eighties. Yeah. There's no in between. There's also no in Nintendo references in this one movie, which is interesting. Yeah. Fuck, copyright things, but who cares? Sure. Um, wait, who made Ready Player One? Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Oh, but I was gonna say because like Bowser shows up. I mean, it's, Spielberg has like, it's they probably. I mean, they share the licenses, I guess, with the different studios, and Spielberg can get a lot of what he wants. He's he's a very big Halo fan, that's for sure. And they got some Star Wars references in there, even though it's a Warner Brothers movie. And they got um, you know, I saw a couple of Tie Fighters in there. But yeah, I, I wish there were some Blade Runner references. I I wish it were darker, but they're trying to market to the the demographic. Which the, it's, it's kind of a weird demographic, if you think about it. The niche video game lover, 80s nostalgia demographic. Yeah, it's like, who's it for? Kids or 40-year-old men? Yeah, 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 exactly. 40-year-old <laughs> men living in their parents' basements talking about movies, like uh, or, or working at the VCR repair shop. Um, whereas we work at the Atriac tape repair shop, which we, is much we work, better. We work at a library. Yeah, the library, yeah. We, we, we repair 8-track tapes. Um, anyway. <laughs> that movie, I watched it. I enjoyed it. With my brother, then. It, it's good, but... It was entertaining, I would say. I like the villain. I like the actor that plays the villain, Ben Mendelsohn. He's so good. He's he's the villain in Rogue One. He's, I think he's probably the only, the only character in Rogue One that has like any real passion. Because he, he's so good at being angry. Like, the really angry... Oh, yeah, that too. He shows up in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, and I love him in that movie, too. He's, where's he, Bane? He's like, where's... He was his Brooklyn accent, because he's, he's Australian. He's like, <laughs> I'm in... He's like... What is going on? Do you feel in charge? And he's the villain in Captain Marvel as well. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's going to be the scroll guy. Oh, no. So well, anyways. Be, should be interesting, but yeah. Towards the end of Ready Player One. My, this is my biggest problem with the movie. It's a straight-up rip-off of, of Steven Spielberg's own film. Yeah, it really is. It feels uh, very Crusade. You have chosen yeah. wisely. Mm -hmm. Which... <laughs> I was like... All right. I, I guess, and there are quite a few indie references in the book, and, you know, it, 
indie is a big part of the 80s pop culture. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was pretty much a lot, a lot of holy grail with the different trials and tasks and stuff. I do wish it had like looked at the negative consequences more of being the Oasis. Because in the book, the main character, he's like really overweight. He has no oh. eyebrow. Like he, his, his vitamin C levels are so, vitamin D levels are so down, vitamin C as well. He's just really overweight, really. That's why the love story is much better because like, they realize like what each what they each look like in the movie in the book, at the very end. Oh, because this is like in the middle of the movie. Yeah, in the movie, in the movie, they mean if she doesn't know, they're both fairly attractive people. And the girl, she has like a birthmark, but she looks pretty nice. That's like she's pretty beautiful. Awesome. Like, she's yeah, and, and it's not like a, a giant mole with hair coming out. Yeah, like yeah, some of that. exactly. But you know, that's because they gotta sell the movie. Yeah, they do, they do, <laughs> and that's the that's the issue with the Blade Runner. That's why um, <laughs> Ready Player One made more than Blade Runner. Um, although I, I genuinely enjoy the film I, but they had Simon Pegg doing an American accent so like why do you have Simon Pegg in the movie not <laughs> speaking it, it, it's weird because um, I love Simon Pegg no, like, it's just like having Martin Freeman and Black Panther not with a British accent like why do you cast Martin Freeman yeah. there's plenty of people that can play that role um, but it, besides that besides that um, no uh, Blade Runner going back to Blade Runner <laughs> um, topic well, yeah, little movies are fun. Just on a surface level, turn your brain off type fun. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner, you have to turn your brain on. You can't, you can't be on your phone. You have you really to think. Can't. You really, but it's hard for this generation, so I'm... It really is. I'm really sad that a lot of people haven't watched it. I mean, despite like, being in LDS school, there are plenty of people watch R-rated movies anyway. But it, it's still such a... It, I don't know, like, how many movies make you think about the world you live in? Technology, cloning, um, sex trafficking... Objectifying women, like how we objectify women in our media. Yeah, there, all this there was stuff. a lot of layers to this film. Yeah, sure. yeah. There's a ton. Exactly. A lot of things. Like we talked about the last two hours. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Dang, it's been two hours. Yeah, which is great, which is great. You know, I, I feel like I could go on forever, but I got homework to do. Yeah, it's um, real do. Um, it's only a part time job at the video cassette repair shop. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The movie's very layered. It's like a big I would layer be very cake. surprised mm-hmm. if, we were, if we find one person in this whole library. Who has watched and enjoys it. And can like, us. Yeah, and, and can talk about the, sim- the symbols and everything and can talk about what they really liked about it besides saying, oh, it looks cool. Because it feels long. It looks cool. It, it's you know barely what? two hours. There's people who have seen it on campus only because it looks cool. And then, but that's, and then honestly, like, any reason to watch it, like as long as they do watch it, that's, that's my one thing. Like I watched it because it looked really cool originally. Uh-huh. Okay. But, For me, it was like interesting. Interested in just the story. Well, same too. But I, I'd seen the shot of like the... The Chinese lady eating the fruit of it, like on the billboard. It's like that. That's a very. She's just like it's like oh, going over and over again. Like they just replay that on the billboard. It's like okay, and then the Coke logo. So I was like, I gotta watch this movie because it looks really good. It looks really influential. I've seen it like repeated in other films. Because even in like uh, Attack of the Clones, quite a bit of the stuff on the the speeder the speeder chase thing in Attack of the Clones. It's like a a sped up Blade Runner thing, with a very a digital coruscant. But you have the the factory area, you have the underworld stuff there too. So I'm glad George paid homage to whoever ripped off, however you want to say Wait, it. Wait, the clones? Um, the, there's like the night, there's the whole scene where like Oglan jumps out the window, grabs onto the drone thing, and then they, you know, they go down and into the lower depths of the city. Then they go to a bar and he's like, I want a drink. Yeah, yeah, and he's it's like, like, why are you getting a drink if you're gonna go kill yeah, someone? Yeah, I mean, are, are you a Jedi? Haven't you like sworn <laughs> to like not, part- I mean, I, I guess it's different for, for different, Types, but anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he's like, where are you going for a drink? And then the guy's like, you want to buy some death sticks? Um, so I mean, that, that could be, that's a little reference. And, but that's like, that's like a PG bar, PG Blade Runner bar. I don't know what they're drinking. They'd be drinking purple drink. Blue milk. Blue milk. Always blue milk. Windex. Always blue milk. Yeah, Windex. Windex, right. <laughs> um, this is a... It's a different universe. It's a more evolved world. And that's how the Jedi get their force. That's where the midichlorians come from. Windex. Windex. It just it clean. It makes them so clean and pure. It just purifies them. Um, but yes, yeah, so <laughs> the point is influential. The point of Blade Runner. It's very gray. I had a friend once tell me she she was also a big fan yeah. of movies, and I assume mm-hmm. she'd watch Blade Runner. But she did tell me once that like a lot of times movies are very black and white. This is the good guy. This is bad guy almost mm-hmm. taking over the world, but good guy finishes the job. <laughs> and she, he's one that you can root for, and piece the one that people are gonna put on a T-shirt and a lunchbox and stuff. Like <laughs> that's just not the case with Blade Runner. No, she was saying that like there, there has to be there, there's movies out there that are gray, that have a lot of gray areas like this one. Mm-hmm. Like eventually we'll have to face this question: is like should we give, like a better term, replicants yeah. rights? Uh huh. Will that's we right. have animals anymore? That's will we have a need for animals for companionship since mm-hmm. do we really care if they're real as long as they're cute? And the Spielberg actually addresses that in AI, artificial intelligence. Which is also, it's, it's a fairly divisive Spielberg movie, but still pretty good. It's based off of, Kubrick was going to make the movie, Spielberg, but he died before he could, so Spielberg directed it. Yeah. Um, so would have been a whole different type of movie. Yeah, it, it would have been very, very, very R. But um, Spielberg made it, it's, it's PG-13. Still, like, the little kid, he's, he's a, they call them mechas and org, organics, but um, he's, they call, he's a mecha, but they're having this, there's like an anti, like, mecha movement, and they have this thing called a flesh fair where they kill robots, and so they only spare the little kid because he's cute, you know? Like, we only think about it because they're cute, wow. you know? Like, like, and, but, like, the ones that are, like, missing part of their, you know, face and everything... Yeah, they, they just kill him. But then they see a little kid who's like full, you know, they're like, oh, he's just a little kid. But, you know, he's the same, he's just a robot, basically. So, yeah, that does really, you know, do we just value life because it's cute? Like, do we value the life of a puppy more than a shark just because it's cute and non threatening? Mm-hmm. Just because of appearances? Do we value the life of a, you know, do what, like, if a baby is born and, and it's ugly, or what we perceive as ugly, is it worth less? You know, people people won't say, "Oh, that's an adorable baby." They're like, "Oh, what a," you know, they they don't know what to say. Or Christoph Waltz. Oh, I mean, he didn't say it, but in uh, Glorious Bastards, he's like, "Would you give a rat milk?" That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is. See, it, it it's really interesting thinking about that. And I'm Rats, so glad Blade Rizzies. Runner. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And Blade Runner just it gives all these questions, and then it, you can watch more movies and think with the Blade Runner mindset. You can think about the future and think about where we're going to be in 20 years. Like, this is 2019 here. I think a good right? way, if you're too afraid to get into Blade Runner, but curious enough, but want to get want to get a little taste, watch Ex Machina. I really think, mm-hmm. don't watch Alien. It's a whole different time. <laughs> Alien is just like well, a thriller. That's true. Whereas Ex Machina does bring up the same questions. Yeah, yeah. It really does. Because in, in Ex Machina, spoiler alert, Ex Machina, I guess to wrap up, as the movie progresses, the, the robot becomes more human. Mm-hmm. To the point where, at the end of the movie, she is. Yeah. She appears to be. 
Same thing with Blade Runner. Turing test and everything. Yeah, same thing with Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Replicants come more humor towards the end. Whereas the humans in the movie are more concerned with their jobs, more concerned with their security. Yeah, yeah. More. Well, with um, Oscar Isaac's character, he's like the overlord type of person. He's less Tyrell. human. Yeah, he's basically Terrell I mean, on a smaller scale, of course. And then yeah. uh, Donald Gleason's character, Caleb. He, he, you know, he's just like. Yeah, he's just a pawn. You know, he's he's a, he's brilliant, but very very, you know, um, manipulative. Th there is symbolism in the names, those characters. Nathan is the it's a prophet, mm -hmm. Testament, right? Whereas in the movie, he's a he's a CEO. He's a he's a genius, techno technological genius. Mm -hmm. Caleb, in the Bible, at first was a scout, part of the mm -hmm. twelve that went out to. That's right. Check out the lions. But so in a sense, Caleb is like a is a pawn, right? Basically. Then Ava, the robot, that's Eve. Just like uh, Eve and Wally. Mm -hmm. You know, like... Shoot. Ava, Eve, however you want to say it. That's the... You know, that, that, that's potential for a new life. You know, because Eve was the first uh, earthly mother. And so you see a lot of symbolism there. Um, you know, and also with Rachel as well. Rachel, I mean, in... in 2049. Yeah, he talks about, like, God opening Rachel's womb to have yeah. children. Of Jacob and everything. And yeah, Tyrell um, is that that deity. Yeah. This yeah. corrupt god on top of this mountain, mm -hmm. on top of this ziggurat. I was mm -hmm. reading about that earlier. On top of this huge, giant, huge pyramid, like they just pyramid. living above everybody's when he could help people out. He's he's and he, he doesn't even come off as a villain in the movie. Not at first. No. He doesn't really come off. I mean, even at the end, he's not really a villain. He's just like he's very pleasant when you talk to him. Like I never really found a reason to hate him. Moves his hands, right? He's like yeah. Rachel, come. He's always moving his hands. He's very, yeah, he's very, um, like, 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 a, like a modern godfather type thing. He's like, he just commands everybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess when um, Wallace is talking about, like, God of being Rachel's when he's talking about Tyrell allowing, making Rachel the Nexus 7, which we didn't realize she was the Nexus 7 until 2049, and yeah. being allowed, able to breed, to have children. Yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. Wallace, he realizes that Tyrell's able to figure it out. Yeah. But it was lost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was, and, well, and the little memory spheres and everything. He's like, well, I have the lock. He has the key. It's very, very creepy. And, like, Wallace, he chooses not to see. He can see from, like, all those different directions with these little drones. Very omnipresence-like. But he chooses not to. Uh, not all the time, at least. Yeah, sometimes he's just he's okay, Yeah, he's okay with just, like, sitting in the dark. He's like, an angel should never enter the kingdom of heaven without a gift. Just, like, so... So creepy, and I, I loved him his performance. I, I wish David Bowie had been alive to do it, but um, that would have been just perfect. I know, I know, absolutely perfect. He was Tesla, and he, you know, he's also the, the king in the labyrinth. And but oh, oh well, but you know, Leto, I can feel a lot of David Bowie from Leto's performance. Yeah, people give Jared Leto a bad rap because of the Joker and Suicide Squad. He's, <laughs> he's actually a very good actor, he just wasn't given enough material for, for the Joker. Um, a little too crazy, yeah. But I just I want to know what happens next, but also I, I know I shouldn't. I should like let. Give it a chance. You never know. Yeah. Well, I mean that was a pretty big gamble though. One hundred ninety five million dollars for Blade Runner two. Yeah, that, that's that was right. how much it cost. That cinematography is not not cheap. It's not. Um, and you have to put into account like the budget and everything. Um, and I don't know what it what was it released against in twenty seventeen because I, I kept on wanting like what it came out in November. That's what I remember. What came out at the same time it was like that Trump, Tom Cruise movie, American Made. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, it came out October third, 
2017. It only made $259.2 million. Get Out, Dunkirk, Lady Bird, Shape of Water, Star Wars? Well, this is October, I think. Oh, okay. That's just like 2018 movies you're looking at. Um, I'm really Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Well, Wonder Woman came out in June. Let's see here. Um, actually, a lot. Ooh, I actually watched a bunch of these. <laughs> Had some thread. I actually like that a lot. Uh, War of the Planet of the Apes. A lot of homages to... Um, Apocalypse Now. Which is great. I was like, the yeah. Colonel was, was great. <laughs> um, yeah. Any last words? Uh, no. It's been a great first episode. I hope to be back again. Probably do it next week, man. Next week. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. We'll we talk, gotta, talk about 2049 next week then. Do a I guess we, we should, yeah. Just nice. to wrap it up. 2049. Thanks again, man. Signing off. <laughs>